Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. This is Summer Days on SNZ with Ricardo Ball. Five and a half, four and a half minutes after ten, you're listening to SENZ. Mark Watson with you through to two o'clock this afternoon. Big happy birthday goes out to our producer, Sammy Hewitt, turns 30 today. It's been a patient innings for the big fella. He came out to Lords on this day 30 years ago. He's swung and missed outside off stump on the odd occasions. He's taken some singles. He's taken some twos. Occasionally managed to run three. But we're looking forward to the next 30 years with the big fella start to go up the wicket, start hitting beach balls. Starts to score some fours, some sixes, and hit a magnificent hundred against the new ball at Lords. Happy birthday to you, Sam. Welcome. Oh, that was fantastic. It's probably the best sort of birthday message I've ever received in my life. Well, test, Love 100 at Lords. Test cricket's a great analogy, isn't it? You can sort of sum up life. How's life going? Yeah, not too good. I'm swinging and missing outside off stump at the yeah, moment. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, someone asks you how your relationship's going. Oh, yeah, I sort of had to let her go. She was caught at first slip. Yeah, or you could say, you know, currently upstairs, DRS, you know, just yeah, trying to work things out. Just working you know, things are, out. Are we in, are we out? Yeah, um, in, did, t- in two minds. pitch outside, you yeah, know? Yeah, in two minds. Didn't know whether to come up the wicket <laughs> or go down the wicket. You know, do I go into the back foot? Do I come under the front foot? Yeah, great. You're actually bang on there. It's yeah, a great it's, analogy. You can isn't use it, it in a lot of situations. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, I don't like thirty's a. I think a score that you. It's sort of the score you'd be happy with if you got out. Yeah, you'd be disappointed you didn't crack on. But you know, you've you've sort of done your team some service. Have you? Um, I think so. You're starting to sound like a Warriors fan. Sort of thirties <laughs> in my eyes. Sort of mediocrity, to be fair. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, you do aim high. Um, you d- you do set your sights on 100 every time you go out to bat. I'm just about the team. Mm. Uh, Sam, we, the team through. We have a busy show um, this Very morning. Busy. I've got my notes just on the other side for my chat with Logan. I so see. Yeah. Do you want to get? No, just get up and get those. No, no, get up and get those. Yeah, it's, you go yeah, up and get those. It's not great radio. You can sort of no talk while you're moving around. Yeah. This is what it does a million bits of paper. This is how the shows generally work. So. Uh, anyway, 
we just had a little interlude there with Marcel Marceau. <laughs> if you're not sure who Marcel Marceau is, he's a great French mime. Wouldn't make a great radio host though, Marcel Marceau, would he? Do you no. know who Marcel Marceau I is? I do. Yeah, familiar with him. Yeah. 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 What does he look like? <laughs> wow. I only saw him in black and white. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. We're going to look at. We're going to catch up with Lee Radovanovich. Uh, preview another day of the tennis. Casper Ruud going out yesterday. The number three in the world. Some people are saying that possibly he tanked that. Hey, why do you want to be here? Why do you want to be in the wet conditions? Let's get over to Melbourne early. Let's get on some hard courts. Let's get in some warm weather. But look, he legitimately went out in three sets. What is on centre court today? If in fact there is any play on centre court, or what are they going to be playing indoors? We will also talk to Ben Kennings, get an update on the New Zealand Surfing Championships that are on at Piha. Dale Budge is going to talk to us about Game 1 of a really important series for the Auckland Tuatara baseball team. They're away in Geelong, taking on Geelong Korea. Craig Carter, former county's Manukau chairman, we hope to have him on the programme after one. New club rugby initiative that's going to be played between North Harbour, Auckland and counties as part of the build-up to their respective club championships. A little bit of a knockout type format. I wonder at what point when all these three unions do come together and make it just one giant club comp and then at what point does that then go into one national club comp like we see with secondary schools. Um, We are also going to be talking motorsport as well. Looking forward to this. We're going to catch up with Jonathan Green because we have motorsport taking place down in Wanaka coming up down at Highlands Motorsport Park. It is the... Super Sprint Motorsport New Zealand Championships, the main cat- the main class there is the Formula Regional Oceania Championships, you've got the Toyota 86s, you've got the GT New Zealand Championship as well, and then you've got the Pirelli Porsches, so big weekend of motorsport down there in the South Island, we'll do that as well. Uh, we will bring you highlights of a very good victory for New Zealand against Pakistan in the second One Day International Wonderful 100 being scored by Conway. Great partnership between him and Kane Williamson. The ball was turning and New Zealand benefited from that. Some very, very good bowling from the New Zealand bowlers. A bowling lineup that you'd say is a bit of a novelty in the fact that we're taking so many spinners into a game. Mitchell Santner taking one for 34 off 10 overs. Michael Bracewell taking one for 29 off 10 overs. Ish Sodi, two for 38 off eight overs. Glenn Phillips, well, he came in and contributed. Two overs, one for 13. Equally, Tim Southey, very effective as well. Six overs, one maiden, two for 33. So we will be- look back and reflect on that. Uh, interesting too, the Halberg Awards, the finalists have been named. Some notable omissions and some that I think are just mind-boggling, to be perfectly honest, how certain people can miss out and certain people can be put forward to ultimately go for those gongs in about a month's time. So I do want to look at that as well. But one of the issues that we've also been discussing in the office is whether or not fishing is a fair fight. So you're on your boat, you got your line, latest technology, certain colour hooks, certain colour lures if you need them, you bait it up, you drop it into the ocean, fish bites on it, and you pull it up, and you're the man. You're jumping up and going, yeah, I'm the man, I'm the great hunter and collector. Are you? Is it not just a basic ambush? I mean, a fair fight would be you diving down with a knife and going one-on-one with it. I want to get your thoughts on this. Is fishing a fair fight? 
I mean, if you walk down the street and you're really, really hungry and somebody came up to you and said, hey, would you like this food? And you said, yeah, absolutely, I would. And then you ate it and it was full of cyanide. Would you be happy? Next minute, you're writhing in agony. I don't think it's a fair fight. Sam, is it a fair fight? Doesn't need to be. What just, do you mean it doesn't we, need to be? Well, can we get that out of the way first? Because you do eat fish, so let's just make sure that people don't confuse this argument with you being a raging vegan. No, but hand-caught fish. Right. So you'll go out and you'll catch it yourself, will you? Absolutely. Yeah. And um, does it need to be a fair fight when, you know, if you want to talk about this a little bit more holistically, um, talking about evolution, oh, oh, you're talking about humans that need to that's survive. That's not the discussion. Well, the dis- no, it doesn't, because doesn't you need to provide need to be for a family. family. So you're saying, basically, in that statement, that fishing's not a fair fight. No, no, no. no I just, no, I, no, 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 Sam, you were no, saying no. fishing's not a fair fight because you've, asked the, you've answered the question with a question, does it need to be? I'm, I'm prefacing our argument initially with talking about why we even need to go out and get fish, which is to provide for families, to feed ourselves, etc. Then we can go into the discussion of whether or not it's fair, maybe for sport, is that where you're heading, as opposed to getting food for your family? Because you're getting food for your family, you'll do it any way you want. But if you're doing it for sport, and like you said, for the accolades and the trophies, then maybe that's a little bit different. See, Anthony's already texted, and he says, Hi, Watto and co. Spearfishing is not a fair sport, as the fish has no chance once it is speared. If there were no fish finders and sounders, it would be more fair for the fish from a boat. As a rock fisherman, that's fair, as I am in their territory, and I can release them easily. That comes from Anthony. Good yeah, I don't man. disagree with that, and I used to um, kayak fish. I thought that was a little bit of an in-between, so obviously manual paddling out to a location. Um, yeah, I had a fish finder, but it didn't really do yeah. much. And the reason I brought this up is because one year at Christmas, and we've got a pretty close family, the family was almost divided over this particular argument. In fact, it got quite heated. And I can't I can even ima- I can't imagine. I sat on it I can't time. imagine. Was it heated from, a, from your particular camp? I'm very calm, Sam. <laughs> they didn't appreciate when I put out the 0800 number for home. No, 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 no calls either. Um, it's an interesting one, though, isn't it? I mean, well, it's interesting, I, 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 I but never, I don't... I, I watch these hunting shows, and I watch yeah. these people with these high-powered rifles. Now, admittedly, you've got to walk, and I get that. You're going to walk into, the, say, the highlands of South... The South... South yeah. or yeah. in Kaimais or wherever it might be. Yeah. But these people that have got these high-powered rifles and there's some deer just chewing and grazing on the grass thinking, it's a lovely day. How are my little bambies? Oh, they're all looking pretty good. And then some dude's lined up a high-powered rifle from about 400 metres away with a scope and then blows its brains out and goes, hey, I'm the man. Yeah, no, and I can only, understand The that. only hard part of that is walking the damn thing out. Yeah, and I can understand that. And, and particularly, I get really annoyed with those ones that come from like South Africa and America where they're shooting like rhino mm. and, you know, big game thing. And it's like, you, you know big man for doing that. The one thing I will say, I follow a few really, really good fishermen on on social media channels. And look, there's a lot of luck involved with getting, say, a 20-pound snapper. Like, you know, you could randomly just be dropping down, never fished before in your life, and you pull up a 20-pound snapper. But there's people that sort of do it on a regular basis. And these are the people who can read the tides very well, can read bodies of water in areas that, you know, are going to hold good fish. And then they're very good with their soft bait lures, their casting. And I think there's a lot more skill involved in that. Would you consider yourself to be a warrior if you took advantage or beat up somebody with who was, say, mentally disadvantaged? No, but I don't think that's but what fish people are, are mentally doing, though. disadvantaged in comparison to mankind. We've got a phone call coming through here. I think we should talk to this gentleman. Because I think I've got a yeah I've got a feeling people are on my side on this one, Sam. 
even though it might be your birthday, but it is. I mean, so you're talking about the intellect of the humanity and how they can read the tides and they build their fish finders. You've got some fish who's got the brain the size of... I was going to refer to a raisin. certain politician, but I won't. Um, the size of a raisin, probably even smaller, and we somehow... Yeah, now that's bullying, I call it, Sam, bullying. Anyway, you might want to have your say on 0800 150811. Uh, that is just one of the little themes that we're going to run throughout the day. You can text us here too um, on 8833. We will take a, take a break and take some calls. We've got Clayton. Are we going to take Clayton? Hi, Clayton from Methvin. Yeah, g'day. Look, I totally agree on that uh, so-called uh, sport of fishing. It's not a sport. And when you see a magnificent marlin on someone's wall, how the hell can the marlin fight back? Well, that's uh, beautiful creatures too, aren't they? And you know you see some of those big snapper that have been caught. They've actually been in the ocean for 50-odd years, and then these people bring them up and take these photos with them while it's basically suffocating. Yeah, exactly. And the other, uh, what really nauseated me, I watched a fishing program, and they had a uh, swordfish on the line for, I don't know, probably 15 hours, Hmm. and... The poor thing in the finish was ramming the boat and they let it off. Now, you cannot tell me that fish would have lived much longer. Well, I mean, you've basically tortured it for 15 hours. It's fighting for its life. It's full of adrenaline. I'm assuming Correct. fish have adrenaline. Sam yeah. will know whether fish have got adrenaline. Well, Google, do fish have adrenaline? Um but, uh, yeah, and then you, you only ultimately let it go. Meanwhile, the fisherman's been fed coffee, probably got a couple of muffins on board yep. to keep his yep. energy levels up. They ended up having three uh, fishermen that uh, took over. When one of them got tired, they'd put another guy in there. And, honestly, that is sickening. And one other thing on, uh, if we go to animals... Uh, bullfighting now is becoming more extinct mm. because, again, uh, they just provoked the bull uh, till it was virtually out of his head, and then um, they put the sword in, mm. and it's a, that's not a sport. No, well said, Clayton. Do appreciate your call. Thank you. Thank you for phoning. It is 17 minutes after 10. Telephone numbers 0800 150. Um, one five zero, one five zero, eight eleven. Sorry, I'm just having a bit of a mental block. I've got Michael from Damn Tutakaka. He's a fisherman. Anyone from Tutakaka is a fisherman. Anyone from Tutakaka is a fisherman. He's going to rip me to pieces, aren't you, Michael? Hi, Michael. Happy New Year, mate. How are you? Good, thank you. Give me your thoughts on this I'm, one. I'm just going to. I'm just going to comment on the last guy's comment. I've probably caught three hundred marlin in my life. If I've hung three up, that's because they died when they got to the surface. Yeah, I've probably I've probably lost six hundred marlin trying to catch those three hundred marlin. Um, with, with a marlin, you're trying to get a hook, and and there's only a couple of places in its jaw it will go into. Um, I would say, and, and you're trolling a lure around an ocean that's miles and miles and miles and miles of, of ocean, and you've got you know you're looking for for single fish. They're not in big skulls, eh? So yeah. there's quite a bit of skill goes into it in terms of 
finding bait balls and finding um, the right water temperature and the right water colour and looking for the currents and all of that. And I would suggest to you that most people in New Zealand um, um, tag and release most of the marlin yeah. they catch. Is that is that understood now that you do tag and release it? So, so what happens, and excuse my ignorance here, Michael, so when you do, say, if you were out there and you caught a marlin that had already been tagged, what does that mean for the fishermen? Is that like a, is that null and void? No, because you've caught it again. So what you would normally do in that situation is um, report it to the, I think it's MPI these days, um, or the Fishing Council, one of the two. Yeah. So when you tag a marlin, you, you get you go and buy a set of, like you go and buy 10 tags for argument's sake, and you get a tag card. When you catch the marlin, that tag's got a number on it. You, If you're a member of a club, um, you give that tag card back to your club after you've tagged the marlin and they they process it. If you caught one last week and I've caught one before that's had a tag in it, you would resubmit that um, tag as a marlin that's been caught. Are you, um, uh, do you run a fishing charter up in Tutakaka or are you just a hardcore keen fisherman? No, I'm just a a keen sport fisherman. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, okay. Not, hey, look, Michael. I mean, this discussion this morning is a little bit tongue in cheek, but is there any sort of form of fishing which is genuinely not a fair fight? I mean, clearly, I don't think net fishing or what do you call it, bottom trawling and stuff, is particularly great in any things. But uh, I mean, no, would, would you say totally would agree. you say fishing is a fair fight? I, I heard Sam say yesterday that there's probably uh, more fish get away than get caught. So, yeah. um, is it a fair fight? Um, I don't know. As 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 eating beef from a cow that's been farmed in a farm is that a fair fight? Where no, you go, no, no, how many, no, no. How, it's how many rabbit holes do you go down? You know, no, I, no, I no. Look, and, and, and you're right, but well, I just wanted to put this one onto fishing, but um, because yeah, no, you're right. I mean, there, there's a lot of hypocrisy. I mean, I eat meat and I don't agree with animal cruelty. I'm not saying that I'm not a hypocrite. I totally agree yeah. with you. Um, yeah. I think it's got fishing's got a lot easier as technology's got better, right? So. Back in the day when we learned yeah. to fish as kids, there was you know there was hardly such a thing as a yeah. as a fish finder or a deep yeah. sounder or you know, yeah. it was all bait back in yeah. those days, and we learned to catch a car wire. Yeah, we'll see. Snapper, S- Sam, the, Sam these days just goes out with a boat and a stick of dynamite. Yeah, well we've done that as well, not dynamite as kids, but yeah, we've all done that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Michael, lovely Back to have you on the, the program, mate. Lovely to have you phoning from Tutakaka. It's a Brilliant. beautiful day up here too, mate, and they are out catching marlin, just saying. Yeah, not just saying. Fair to say, fantastic. 21 minutes after 10, you're listening to SENZ 0800 150 811 is the number. From nine, Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service yeah. needs to help you succeed in your field. You're listening to Summer Days with Ricardo Ball on SENZ. 26 minutes after 10, Lee Radovanovich, not too far away, Sky Sport experts, comments man, we will just get a bit of an update review yesterday of the ASB Men's Tennis Classic and of course plenty of actions yet to go today, uh, weather in Auckland is not particularly great, look we're having a little bit of a light hearted discussion around whether fish, whether or not fishing is a fair fight, we asked whether fish produce adrenaline and Sam, do fish produce adrenaline? Yes, they do. Uh, it is tied to their fight or flight hormones, like most 
species or animals, I guess. So, um, yeah, so they if do. you're an adrenaline drunk, you want to come back as a fish. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, we're giving them a good time every time we throw a hook down. It's like going on a roller coaster for them. Mm, yeah, I've seen a couple of fish closer to the surface just laying on their back. I said, what's going on, man? <laughs> like one was smoking at something and the other was like, yeah, man, adrenaline fatigue. Dude, was, he smoking, was he smoking some seaweed? He was. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, Sam. God, you're talented seaweed. Well, it's what happens when you turn 30, Mark. You yeah. sort of become a little bit sharper. Yeah, don't well, you? that's yeah, right. I mean, you, as I said, you're going to start to see the new ball a bit yeah, clearer shortly. I'm going for a bit, um, bit Now, you're also saying too, though, that MPI, which is the Ministry of Primary Industries, Primary Industries, who sort of are the ones that do the governance in and around fishing, are looking or maybe already have made some changes in regards to fishing quotas. Yeah, I, yeah. You'll so the me small fish, because you've already said that adrenaline runs through these things. So even yeah. if you do capture them, if you throw them back, they're probably not well, going to survive. Yeah, well, snapper in particular are notorious for not surviving when you throw them back. If you're pulling them up from 30 metres, their bladders inflate too quickly. Um, so that's why you've got to pull them up slowly. Don't try and just rip them up to the surface. You pull them up slowly, but can you yeah. do that in a David Attenborough voice? Because that's very, very scientific. <laughs> the fish jump to the surface. No, yeah, and yeah, the bladder yeah. begins to. It begins to expand. But also, too, um, you know, fish are very sensitive to the oils on their skin. So when human hands touch mm. them, that's why they say touch them with a, with a towel or something. But even then, the microfibers from the towel will get into their you know, underneath the, into their scales and stuff. So um, snapper in particular struggle mm. surviving after you've pulled them on board. So MPI, whether or not it's happening now, because I haven't been totally up to speed with the quotas, they were looking at, everyone knows that um, with snapper, it's um, 30 centimetres and you get seven fish a day. Um, per person, 30 centimetres is the limit. They were looking at um, not having a size limit, so you can catch any size snapper, but you can only catch seven. And once you hit seven, you then have to throw all the rest back. Mm. The reason why is because you'd go out fishing, you'd catch five or six undersized snapper that would just go straight straight back into the drink, probably die. Then you'd go and catch your 730 mm. and you'd keep them on board. Mm. So this way, they're, I think they're trying to mitigate the waste um, of you know throwing those undersized ones back in. Not 100% sure whether that's happening now or whether they were thinking about happening it, but there was just an interesting chat about that. I mean... You know, we are depleting our fishing stocks pretty quickly, especially in the Hauraki Gulf. And that well, it's easy to do when it's not a fair fight, Sam. Well, not with the bottom trawlers, um, Mark. Hey, just, just going back to David Attenborough, when yes. I first met my wife, and we were going through the wooing process, you know, and you sort of get a little bit amorous. And I love always grew up being a commentator. I'd always yeah, okay. mimic commentators. I'd yep. sort of do the whole David Attenborough thing. As the male homo sapien comes into the room, the female homo sapien is feeling amorous. She didn't appreciate it, Sam. Didn't she? No, she didn't. And I thought I was being point. quite romantic. Right. So it's sort of a surprise that you're still together then. Yeah, I thought I thought I thought impersonating David Attenborough as, as a little bit of a pickup or a way of sort of you know creating a romantic mood would be quite romantic. If you didn't appreciate it, maybe I didn't do it well enough. But, well, you do see on the documentaries, don't you, when they're when they're talking about like a peacock or something, and there's always the one that's trying very hard to get the female, and, off, and often it's the one off to the side that's just sort of keeping to themselves that the female will end up going for. The so maybe, pull. yeah, maybe you push could just pull. learn a, a few things from Well, no, I've always said planet. that. We used to have this conversation on um, Radio Sport. We call it the push-pull technique. So if you see a really, really pretty girl, and I'm just saying this through the uh, boy's eyes here. So you see a really, really pretty girl, and you know that um, drop-dead gorgeous. And so what does a girl want that's always had everything she's wanted? She wants what she can't have. I see. So you've got to make yourself unattainable. Mm. So you go in there when everybody else is sort of falling Putting all the over. The feathers out. You just go out. You just go in there and say hi, and then you stand back, okay? And then, you know, you might go back at some point and be really polite and nice. Everybody else is throwing themselves, you know, just desperate for the conversation. She's thinking, I've got all of these. And she's going, but what about that guy? He just seems to ignore me. No guy's ever ignored me. And in that moment, you create a bit of mystique. 
And that mystique then suddenly makes you desirable. Mm. And then before you know it, bada boom, bada bang. So we've somehow transitioned from um, from the debate of fishing as a fair fight to relationship advice. Um, with Watto. With Watto. And look, I'm a married man, but I'm sure if there's people out there listening who are single, um, give it a crack. Well, I just decided today we'd make some award-winning radio just to be a little bit out there. We do have plenty of sport to come. This is still a sports radio we show. We do, and I still want to get you fired up about the Hellbergs. Um, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I will go on it too. Mm. Plenty didn't, to talk about was, on that. Wasn't there someone, something, a topic yesterday someone floated that you, we didn't actually get your rant in the end? I think it was about Harry. Oh, Harry. Yeah, yeah. We'll save that as well. We will save that. Uh, Lee Radovanovich uh, to talk tennis with us next on the programme. Are we taking a break or are we going straight to Lee? We will take a break and we'll get Lee Radovanovich up next. Another confession to make. I'm your Uh, just updating football for you too. We've got the EFL Cup underway, the Caribou Cup, Liverpool defending champions out, of course. Quarterfinal time, Nottingham Forest won, Wolves won. This is the big one though, Manchester City trail Salad Dwellers Southampton by two goals to nil, 75 minutes gone on that. We will keep you updated. But it is too, number one tennis lane, formerly known as Stanley Street, that we talk to tennis commentator Lee Radovanovich. Lee, good morning, welcome. Morning, mate. Well, massive, massive upset yesterday. Casper Ruud going out of this tournament, getting beaten six, well, getting beaten six three three six seven six by Laszlo. How do you say his last name? Dejere, is it? Zaria, we think Zaria. Mm. But yeah, big upset late last night on the indoor courts. Um, I think most people, myself included, thought that Ruud would progress relatively easily through that, but unable to. He had his chances. He was up a set and kind of in control early in the second set, but wasn't able to get the job done. And the difference at the end of the day was Jaria, his serving prowess was amazing, but it really, really counted. He used that big serve to great effect, 19 aces. And they were all, not all of them, but the vast majority of them were at key times, as in game point, break point, set point, things like that. He used the serve to great effect, and that was the difference between the two players. Total bummer for the tournament because he's a big draw card. You know, finalist of the French Open last year, finalist of the US Open last year, and nobody apart from myself and about 10 other people have been able to see him play live. Mm. Uh, good news for Belgian fans. David Goffin got the job done against Christopher Eubanks, 6 2 6 4. Yeah, that was a fairly routine match for Goffin, and I thought it might be Eubanks kind of played the, the match of his life in his first round. He wasn't able to back it up with the same consistency or the same aggression that he did on day one. Goffin was uh, just too smart for him, really. He worked the big guy around the court and picked his weaknesses. And we had Yuri Leheka getting beaten by Cameron Norrie. I thought this might. I th- thought we might see Norrie exit this. Cameron Norrie winning 6-4, lost the second set 7-6 in a tiebreaker, losing that tiebreaker 7-4, coming back to win the third set 6-3. This started on the outdoor courts and finished on the indoor courts. So I guess good news for New Zealand tennis fans. They will have, um, they'll feel like they've got some ownership of Cameron Norrie to a degree. Yeah, I think so. A little bit uh, fortunate, a little bit of stroke of luck for Norrie in that match because whilst we were playing outside, it was a great atmosphere here on centre court. It was great tennis, 6-4, 6-7, and sorry, Mahetska, when he won the second set, 7-6, he was on a roll. He had the momentum. He was pretty pumped up. He had the big forehand working, and he really had the upper hand in that match. If they were able to stay on court, it rained, and they went off for about an hour. 
if they were able to stay on court right after that second set, Lehechka had a heck of a chance of the big upset. But it rained and they went off court. And that really helped Norrie just to uh, calm things down. He is obviously the more experienced player and he was able to handle that break mentally better and came out of the box after an hour on the first game of the third set. Won three games in a row where Lehechka, on the other hand, after the hour break was kind of a different player and was a bit loose, made a few unforced errors in those first two or three games of the third, and that was the difference. The rain was the key factor in that match, amazingly. Mm. Okay, let's have a look at centre court action today. Um, I'm not sure what the weather's doing. I'm currently stuck inside. I know driving in, it was absolutely awful, but we do have Cameron Norrie on centre court. It looks pretty dodgy. I'm just sitting on centre court right now, and it's light showers like it has been for the last six months. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It reminds me of being in Seattle, Mark. The running joke in Seattle was it only rains once a year and it's from October to April. (laughs) Yeah, not dissimilar climates, I understand, between Seattle and here. At least they've got, you know, at least they had, um, yeah, at least they had Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and a few other things. Yeah, so centre court today, we've got Marcus Aron up against uh, Cameron Norrie. They're first up today. And on paper, you'd think that Cameron Norrie should roll through that relatively comfortably being that he's number 12 in the world and he's got the home crowd here. But he actually lost to uh, the American last year in Vienna. Um, Caron is 60 in the world. He is an NCAA champion for UCLA a number of years ago. So he's a good player. And he'll have the belief that he can beat Norrie. Norrie was solid yesterday, but I think that the draw has opened up for him. He's the clear favourite to win this if he's good enough. So I think we'll see him just pick up his level a little bit today. He should get through that one. Yeah, following that, we've got Quentin Hellas taking on Jensen Brookby, the American. I haven't seen the Frenchman play yet live because he's been out on the backcourt. But Brooksby's been an interesting story. He's world number 64. He's at his highest career rank at the moment. And he's, he's an awkward player. Uh, to play and to commentate his his technique is not quite out of the textbook and some of his mannerisms on the court or the way he executes some of the shots is slightly unusual and he's a guy that can get out of the skin of his opponents. He played a fantastic first set yesterday against Diego Schwartz and really wiped him off the court. Um, He's in really, really good form. I would uh, install Brooksby as as the favourite in that one. Mm. And then looking forward to this, the veteran Richard Gasquet of France taking on David Goffing of Belgium. And that should be an absolute purist contest. Yeah, exactly. This is the match of the day. This is the one I'm looking forward to the most. Two guys at sort of the back end of their career, they don't have the brute power and the brute force of some of these younger guys coming through. A little bit more artistry and and intelligence from these guys. They'll look to kind of move the ball around and change the height and spin of the ball and really construct a point. I think that I would love to see a a classic classic three-setter in that one. It's two guys with two fantastic careers, both former top ten players in the world. With a bit of luck, it won't rain and we can see them on centre court. And then we've got, what, another encounter between Serbia and France to finish the singles action. Yeah, and that'll be a tough one because it's at 7 o'clock tonight. Gier, who obviously had the big win against Casper Rude last night, the key for him will be, can he back up that kind of performance because that's the biggest win of his career last night. Lesti in from France, he also had a long three-setter Last night against another French player, Berea, he won 7-5 in the third on the indoor court. So he might be a little bit tired. But he's been good to watch. He's got a lovely two-handed backhand and likes to move the ball around the court. So that one, that one's tough to pick. I'd 
I have to be on the fence there, 50 50 on the night match tonight. Mm. And opportunity too for people to see Michael Venus in action with his partner Jamie Murray. They're playing on the grandstand court and they're taking on Nathaniel Lemons and Jackson Withrow. Yeah, that's not before 12 o'clock today, so with a bit of luck, it doesn't rain. And there is quite a few seats out on that grandstand court. So there's, you know, people have been keen to see these guys play, but just haven't been able to much because of the weather so far, which is, you know, Mm. Which has been a real shame. All right, Lee Radovanovich, uh, just before we let you go, just a quick question for you. It's part of the theme of this morning. Is fishing a fair fight? <laughs> no. <laughs> ah, brilliantly, love it. Hey, thanks for your time. I'll let, you, right, I'll let you think about that in greater depth while you're commentating. Oh, well. Might text you back on that one. Brilliant. 19 minutes away from 11. You're listening to SENZ. Telephone numbers 0800 150 You can text us here on double eight double three. 19 minutes away from 11. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. You're listening to Summer Days with Ricardo Ball on SENZ. Still to come after 11 o'clock, we'll catch up with Jonathan Green. Jonathan Green is a British-based American motorsport commentator who's out here in New Zealand to cover the Super Sprint Motorsport New Zealand Championships, which kicks off this weekend at Highlands Motorsports. It's very much a pathway for a lot of drivers through to Indy cars. A lot of drivers often come out of this that end up in Formula One as well. It's got a rich history. So we'll talk to motorsport. Ben Kennings, Mr. Surfing himself, the surfing New Zealand Surfing Championships are on at Piha. They come to a conclusion on Saturday afternoon. We'll get a little bit of an update. I know there has been a change in wind direction. It's gone from offshore or basically what we call an easterly here in Auckland, to now a westerly. Hopefully it's going to start moving a little bit more around to the south and we will get the surf required to make sure that this is legitimate competition. Billy Stearman, we had him on the programme yesterday looking to try and win his ninth surfing national title. Uh, part of the theme that we've got this morning is, is fishing a fair fight. You can let us know your thoughts on that. Text us here on double eight double three. Now one of the talkback uh, subjects that I do want to get into not sure how much time we're going to have to necessarily take talk now, we do have some time is that the Halberg Award finalists for 2023 have been named, so the Para Athlete Para Team of the Year is Adam Hall for skiing, Cameron Leslie for swimming, good guy Cameron, remarkable athlete, Corey Peters for skiing, Nicole Murray for cycling and Dame Sophie Pascoe you would have to assume that's got to go to probably one of the Olympic athletes in Corey Peters or Adam Hall, um, the Olympics outweigh Commonwealth Games. Uh, Sportswoman of the Year, Elise Andrews for track cycling. Dame Lisa Carrington winning another World Kayaking Championships. Lydia Coe, number one ranked golfer in the world. Um, Ruahi DeMont for rugby. Zoe Sadowski Sinnott. Now, Zoe Sadowski Sinnott, in my opinion, becomes the first female or first athlete out of this country to win an Olympic Games gold. She backed it up with a silver medal as well. Um, has to win the Sportswoman of the Year. Uh, Sportsman of the Year. This is the interesting one. Aaron Gate. Dylan Schmidt, now he won a world trampoline uh, championship this year. Nico Porteous, gold medal at the Winter Olympics. Paul Cole, squash, Commonwealth Games gold medalist, mixed teams gold medalist. And Shane Van Gisbergen for winning supercars and winning Bathurst. Now, Nico Porteous, in my opinion, wins the winters, he wins the Olympic Games, he wins the gold medal. Again, we don't, you know, you go back to Annalisa Koberger having won a silver. Nico Porteous and um, Zoe Sadowski Sinnott four years ago picking up bronze at the Olympics. So just the three Winter Olympic medals and then suddenly 
we get a gold from Nico Portis, we get a gold from Zoe Sadowski Synod. Now, the Winter Olympics in Europe, particularly in countries like Canada, are often bigger than the Summer Games. So, in my opinion, Nico Porteous wins the Sportsman of the Year, Zoe Sadowski Synod wins Sportswoman of the Year, uh, Adam Hall or Corey Peters probably win the Para Athlete of the Year. Um, we'll get to the sports teams shortly. Um, and the sports teams are Black Ferns, Joel King and Amanda Landers Murphy for squash. Joelle King and Paul Cole for squash, Kerry Williams, Grace Prendergast for rowing, and New Zealand eventing team in equestrian. I think the eventing team finished third at the World Championships, Williams and Prendergast winning gold at the World Rowing Championships. Public sentiment, popularity, we'll see the Black Ferns win the team of the year. But the notable admissions probably come in the men's sportsman of the year category. No room for Ajis Patel. Just the third player in history to take 10 wickets in a test. Now, he did this right at the end of 2021, but it's part of the starting date for this year's awards. Doesn't get a nomination. One of the great achievements in the history of test cricket, only the third bowler in history to take 10 wickets in a test. What makes it more extraordinary is that he did it in India against the Indians, masters of spin. My opinion, he should be in there ahead of Van Gisbergen or Paul Cole. Is this for sportsmen or for moments? For sportsmen of the year. Uh, the argument I guess you'd make, what was that? It was a one-off. Yeah, but isn't everything? Aren't the Olympics a one-off? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I get you. I get you. Isn't Bathurst a one-off? Yep, nah. I, I see. What, yep, a lot I of sport is one off, though, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. I do. I do see where you're in, going. In fact, with that. I make it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they uh, they are often judged off one performance, aren't they? The Helbergs. Yeah. Like, you know, if Van Gisbergen wins Bathurst, or if well, McLaughlin Van wins Gis- Indy 500. Van Gisbergen, I can see because he won the supercars. Correct. And it's he does big more. Here. But you get my but, point. But, but you know, you look at the supercars. You look at Bathurst. Let's be honest. It's world famous in this part of the world, isn't it? It is. Yep. And no different than netball, to be honest, and no different to rugby if you're to be perfectly honest about it, and women's rugby even more so. And sometimes we don't look broad enough. We don't look at the bigger picture here. So a couple of other notable admissions. So we've got Lydia Ko there because she's the number one golfer in the world and she won three tournaments this year, but she didn't win a major championship. Is Steve Alka there? No, but that's an age group thing. You can't have age group in there, mate. It's a plus 50s. You know, I know a lot of triathletes are age group world champions, Ironman world champions. And Is Foxy up there? Uh, no. Well, again, what did he win other than a lot of money? Yeah. Well, he won the Dunhill links, but yeah, no majors, obviously. Yeah, no majors. Okay. But so we've got Lydia Coker. She's the number one golfer in the world, right? What about James McDonald, the jockey? Why do jockeys not get recognised here? Why do we not legitimise what they do, yet we legitimise racing car drivers? That's fair. Yeah, in the United States, they're superstars. In Britain, they are considered superstars. And in Australia, they are considered superstars. And he's won pretty much at all those places. He's pretty much won everything. Now, he didn't win the Melbourne Cup this year, won the Melbourne Cup last year, but I don't think he was recognised for that either. And so do we have a prejudice towards racing? Wasn't he won? Well, didn't he win Jockey of the World? Like, did he won yeah. the World Jockey yeah. he's title? Num- he's number one ranked in the world. Yeah. That's <laughs> phenomenal. I know. It's a huge sport. In every country. In the sport of kings. Yeah, doesn't get nominated. In every country. Yeah. And now you've also then got Dylan Hartley. Now we talk about Shane Van Gisbergen winning supercars and we talk about Shane Van Gisbergen uh, winning Bathurst. Brendan Hartley? Brendan Hartley, my apologies. Brendan Hartley. The guy won Le Mans 24. There are three major sporting events in the world of motorsport that considered the Triple Crown. Monaco Grand Prix, Indianapolis 500 and Le Mans. Where's the nomination? 
0800 15811 is the number. We do want to have this discussion and try and get some talk back on it. You can text us here on 8833. It's a popularity contest sometimes. We don't do enough due diligence. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. You're listening to Summer Days with Ricardo Ball on SENZ. We've got about 90 seconds. Simon's phone through. Hi, Simon. G'day, Watto. Hey, um, yeah, just quickly, I, I agree with uh, all these, um, the likes of McDonald and stuff and, and what you said earlier, but how, how does it work? And you may know, do, do these have to be nominated by the New Zealand Jockey Association or the New Zealand Scares Association? How does that work? Do you know? Yeah, you do have to be nominated normally by your governing body. Now, I understand when the initial nominations come out, I understand that James McDonald was part of the initial nomination. So I think his name had been put forward. Okay, all that, mate. If if he's there, and and no doubt he should have been there, um, but it's always a contentious issue at this time of the year when the Halbergs are coming up. Yeah, it is. And look, and we should just be celebrating actually what the Hellbergs are about and the fundraising side of it. And sometimes the fact that so many good people miss out is actually testament to what a good sporting country we are. Still, still doesn't take anything away that they've achieved too, I suppose. They know in their own mind what they've done and, and to have a Hellberg would be nice, but only one can win it. Yeah, hey, lovely to have you on the programme. Thank you, Simon. And we'll come back with Brent after the news and then we'll talk some motorsport. Mornings with Ian Smith from 9 Monday Morning on SENZ. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. This is Summer Days on SENZ with Ricardo Ball. Tired of the city As you can tell, I can't sing but love the song. I sing about as well as I do David Attenborough. It is three and a half minutes after 11. You're listening to SENZ. We've got Brent there. We'll come to him in one second, Brent, but just want to re-emphasise what that talking point was. Just looking at the Halberg Awards, those final uh, athletes have been nominated for the individual categories. Notable admissions, Ajiz Patel, who did fall inside of this Halberg window, taking 10 wickets in a test. Not nominated on the men's side. Only the third test cricketer in history to do it. Um, no... James McDonald, number one jockey in the world. Yet we recognise Lydia Coe as the number one female golfer in the world. No Brendan Hartley, won Le Mans 24, one of the three great motorsport races around the world. You might want to have your say on this. Hi, Brent. Yeah, morning. Yeah, um, when I was growing up, and I'm the oldest following up, but um, when I was growing up, we used to be uh, rugby racing and beer. And um, this was in the 80s and late late 70s. Um, then a lot of things changed, obviously, with like sports and stuff like that. But I, I've always, been like you, kind of struggled why they don't recognise racing. It's a pretty hard sport. Oh. We just had a guy that um, passed away recently that was really big in the game, uh, Patrick Hogan. 
Yeah, yeah. Look, absolutely. In terms of what he did for the um, breeding industry in this country, and let's not underestimate uh, economically how big that is and how big a business it is for New Zealand, whether people agree with racing or not, and the ethics behind it. But look, you, you know, a good jockey's like a good uh, motor car driver. I mean, they, they they can be the difference between winning and losing, and incredibly physical. Well, I mean, a jockey does a lot of hard work. I mean, I've ridden horses when I was younger, just not not as a jockey, but I did a lot of track work track riding and all that, it's quite awkward. Um, I was a bit, a bit fat, so I couldn't ride often, but that's right. It's just annoying for me, because I've followed the sport all my life, and you do see these amazing um, achievements in the racing game, and, and, and you struggle to, you go to a rugby game and, and a cricket game, and you see, not as, it's, it's, to me, it's not as exciting as racing, because there's always something going differently. But, um, in saying that, I mean, I've always thought that maybe it's too much to do with gambling. If you go to the races, all you're going to do is gamble and drink beer and stuff like that. That's what I've always thought. But it's not all just that. It's like, you go to the races, it's kind of changed to that. Like, it never used to be like that. Go to races and drink beer and all that. That's, yeah, but look, I mean, I what... what... What, what, what sport these days? I mean, there is an argument that much of the industry is set up in and around, um, yeah, the, the, the TAB or gambling. the gambling side yeah. of it and therefore the breeding side of it. But all sport now has an element. You can bet on pretty much any sport these days, can't you? First try, first goal, yeah. um, half-time, full-time scores. I mean, all sport is now associated with some sort of gambling. In fact, a lot of local sports in this country rely on the 5% revenue take that they take out of it. Yeah, but when I was growing up, like I said, when we were growing up, you couldn't have a bet on an All Black game or something like that because that wasn't around then. It was just rugby racing and beer and you could have a bet on the horses. And, you know, my granddad and, and, and father, when we were younger, they used to um, used to be in Narroi and I was only a kid then and before granddad died. You'd have a handful of followers come around that they're listening to the radio, having a beer having, and, and, and all that. And they'd have a race page and whack someone on the head with a pen and stuff like that and just joking, riding the horse home and stuff like that as you did. And um, it, none of that seems to be happening anymore with anything like, and it's annoying why the gambling side of it has um, always been, I think, the problem with it. It's like everyone's just sort of about gambling, 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 and not worrying about the other stuff. And there's, like I said, there's been some amazing stuff, even in the trotting game, um, greyhound game, all sorts of um, phenomenal things. It's, it's really sad, but I suppose it's life, but... Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll look, look, Brent. It's, it's, it's. Yeah, I think if we're going to be all inclusive, and this seems to be these days, um, you know, big push. Let's talk about inclusion. Let's have equity. Let's have equality. Well, you can't just pick and choose, though. And I do think that horse racing has been prejudiced over the years. Hey, Brent, thank you for your call. Greatly appreciated. Thank you. Have a good day, mate. Yeah, telephone numbers 0800 150 We were trying to get hold of Craig. Um, no, we're trying to get hold of Jonathan Green to talk some motorsport. Just having a difficulty with his number at the moment. So, look, anyone else wants to comment on this with the Halberg Awards? Because I do think certain sports get prejudiced. No different to what we get with the New Year's honours and co- what used to be the Queen's birthday honours. Now it'll be the King's birthday honours, I'm assuming. You know, where you see rugby people always getting knighted and you see just certain sports getting recognised and yet you don't ever see you know we saw da- Dame um, uh, Tairoa getting um, sorry having a mental block getting knighted for winning a netball world cup but where was Stephen Kearney when we won the rugby league world cup you see all sorts of rugby players former players getting knighted uh, yet 
when was the last time a softball player was knighted or a rugby league player was knighted? And so do we have a prejudice towards, say, the working class game or blue collar sports? And do we tend to favour those white collar sports, if I can use that, or those sort of more slightly elitist sports? And does that also carry through a little bit into these Helberg Awards? 0800 150 What other athletes should have been nominated that haven't been nominated? Uh, someone also texting in too, and it's a good one. Um, another debate, should horse trainers be considered coaches? And I think Richard's reference is probably to Chris Waller, who's arguably the greatest trainer in certainly Australasia, uh, certainly considered the greatest trainer in Australia at the moment, boy out of Foxton. Does he somehow get included when you win the Melbourne Cup last year, when you win some of the big races he's won this year? Um, Hugh McCutcheon, former New Zealander, was nominated one year because he won a gold medal with the women's volleyball team at the Olympic Games. Do you remember when Russell Coates was nominated because he won the America's Cup with the Lingy? And so it wasn't necessarily directly related to New Zealand. You can text us here, double eight double three, or jump on the phone on 0800 150 Right, we are going to talk some motorsport now. So the Super Sprint Motorsport New Zealand Championships get underway at Highlands Motorsport Park down there just north of Queenstown. This weekend, the Blue Ribbon class is the Formula Regional Oceania Championship. They've also got the Toyota 86s, the GT New Zealand Championship and the Pirelli Porsches. Jonathan Green is the commentator. He's just dropped off the line. We'll get him back, so we'll take a break, and we'll come back with that shortly. Experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts, and service needs to help you succeed in your field. You're listening to Summer Days with Ricardo Ball on SENZ. It is 15 minutes after 11. Look, we are just going to have to park our motorsport segment at the moment. We'll try and bring you that to a little bit later in the day, just having a few difficulties um, with our phone connection at the moment. Uh, Look, some texts that have come in just in and around the Halberg Awards. I like this one. It feels like there has been a little much emphasis being loaded on these awards. They're always a bit of a have, aren't they? Rightly or wrongly. Um, I mean, come the day after... Come the day after, they are forgotten. The respect for an athlete really comes from the sport they play. They seem on the face of it more about making some money for charity. I'm sure if you privately ask the athlete, would you like it, you would get, yeah, sure, but don't really care either way. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure about that. I think there is a legacy with these awards when you do go through the names that have won them over the years. Um I just think that sometimes a little bit too much emphasis is placed in Commonwealth Games here on the Commonwealth Games. Um, I think some events at the Commonwealth Games are legitimate in terms of depth and the particular countries that are participating are the powerhouses globally. And I think in other um, disciplines, medals are won in sports that the big countries that traditionally do well in them aren't part of the Commonwealth and therefore don't feature but it just seems to me that certain sports do get prejudiced. How is it that the Black Sox, who have won seven world champion championships in softball, have never won the team award? Yet netball's won it, rugby's won it. Rugby league hasn't won it, and yet I'll argue that 
the depth of competition is no less or no greater. 0800-150811 if you do want to have your say on this. Ajiz Patel, should he have been nominated on the men's side? 10 wickets in a test. Only three players in history have done it in the history of test cricket. He did it in India against the Indians. Doesn't matter whether he's gone on and done much since. Well, he hasn't been picked. I mean, Michael Campbell in 2005 winning the US Golf Open. We didn't then expect him to go on and win the Open Championship and the PGA. We just recognised him for that achievement. Now, I'm not saying that Ajiz Patel would win it. I'm not saying that James McDonald will win it because I think Nico Porteous for winning Olympic Games gold at the Winters is more deserving. 0800 150811 is the number. Secondly, um, we've also been having the debate this morning. Not a debate because I'm right. Um, fishing, is it a fair fight? Is fishing a fair fight? I'm not sure it is. Sam's convinced that it is, that it's just simply evolution. Man once started catching fish with their hands, then they decided that, well, if we go out a little bit deeper, we can catch fish with a hook and if we go a bit further, we can build a bigger boat and where we've got to today is just simply a thing called evolution. You might want to have your say on that little bit of tongue-in-cheek, that one. 0800 150 is the number. Right, we are now going to talk the Greyhounds. Our guest on the programme is David Kingston. Now, David is a Greyhound trainer based in Ashburton. He's also been recently appointed to the Grey, Greyhound Racing New Zealand Board as a board member. He's got a long history of involvement in the sport, both as a trainer and as a racing administrator. So we're going to talk to him about the changes that he's seen over the years in the sport. Um, I understand he's also an advocate for straight tracks. The one at Whanganui is currently being worked on. He was also previously vice president of Greyhounds Australasia. David, good morning. Welcome. Yeah, good morning. Lovely to have you on the programme. Talk to me uh, about straight track racing in the Greyhounds. I mean, uh, where's the evolution come in in this? Well, they've had straight track racing in Australia for quite a number of years. Um, it's probably not the spectacle that it is on a circle track, but for safety-wise, it's great. And so what, excuse my ignorance, but I guess I'm maybe asking this question on behalf of those people that are not necessarily um, aficionados in it, but what's the distance of a straight horse track? Uh, anywhere between sort of 300 and 375 metres. Wow, and what sort of time do they knock that out in? Oh, good question. Um, I would say, I haven't got the facts and figures in front of me, but probably around 17, 18 seconds. Yeah, wow. Wow. Mm. So in terms of training um, a greyhound, say versus the oval track versus the straight track, how how different is it? Training wise? Yeah. Probably not probably not a great difference at all. You know, you even on a circle track, um, part of your training is running them down a straight. So it's yeah, probably no different. And in terms of a greyhound, how uh, from the moment they're pups to being bred as racing dogs, when would you start racing a, a greyhound? 
Um, Socialisation sort of takes place from puppy through to about 12 months of age. Yeah. And then you start your education. Um, These days, going back 40 or 50 years ago when I started, uh, we used to start them at nine months old. Um, Nowadays, it's around 18 months to 20 months old. Wow. Um, And longevity of a greyhound in terms of its racing career? Anywhere between four to five years old, they could be. I mean, a lot of them are still capable of racing after five. Yeah. Um, you know, fitness-wise and health-wise and um, injury-free-wise, they're um, certainly capable. Um, they've started running a couple of veteran races just recently at Addington, or they run one the other day, you know, for dogs over four years old or something like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean... You could keep racing them until they're six or seven years old. Mm. You could. Now, David, you've spent a lifetime as a trainer. Um, have you seen much of an evolution in the way dogs are trained and the way the sport has evolved? Well, when I started, we used to um, run at Marshlands Domain and down Preston's Road in Christchurch, and um, there was only two or three dogs in a race there and probably four or five races in a day. So the sport's come an awful long way since then. Training-wise, um, we used to do a lot of walking. These days, not so much walking. It's more free galloping and um, track you know, track work. Okay. Um, now, I understand that you still currently train three dogs. Uh, tell us a little bit about those three. Well, I had a winner on Tuesday with Chanel. Um, she paid $22. Um, we got her from Craig Roberts. Um, we've got Optional Extra. We bought him as a puppy from up the North Island. And we've got Better Luck, who we got off Stephen Bonnie Evans. Um, they're three nice nice dogs, beautiful natured. Um, yeah, just love, 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 lovely dogs to work with. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Um, are they are most uh, of the dogs lovely natured? Like, would you um, could kids come up and pat them, or is there a bit of a wild streak in, in racing dogs? <laughs> it's a popular misconception. I've been training dogs for fifty five years, and I've yep. never had a bad eat yet. Um, my grandkids, when they're little, they all come up and pat the dogs and cuddle them. They come inside, sleep on the couch. I've got one that sleeps with the cat. Um, yeah, no, they're beautiful natured animals. So Absolutely beautiful. Quite domesticated. Yep, yep. Yep, yep. And, and what about dietary-wise? Well, what what, I mean, I imagine they work a lot harder than normal dogs, so are they on special diets? I mean, is there a bit of a, a, um, a template that most dog trainers use when it comes to feeding greyhounds? Well, every greyhound trainer or, or should be every greyhound trainer weighs every meal every night so they're getting exactly the same weight so that maintains their um, body weight for racing um, our dogs get fed fresh beef every day every every night plus kibble they get kibble and milk in the mornings um, they're extremely well fed extremely well fed plus the usual vitamin supplements and that sort of stuff you know just to keep them keep them healthy 
Now, David, look, I come from a, a sort of a, I've got a love affair with athletics and I sort of study the prince, training principles of the great Arthur Lydiard and, you know, love the athletes in the 1960s, 70s. And in yeah. athletics, you know, Lydiard's principle was that everyone's got basic speed. The way, the, the way you maintain that speed for the longest period of time as possible is through basically base work, strength work, and then some speed work. Do you train dogs similarly? Do they do a lot of like what we would call base work, sort of um, conditioning type work early on? Yep, yep, they certainly do. Yep. Um, they're, they're trained exactly the same as what you would if you were an athlete, you know, doing track work, doing 100 metres or 5,000 metres. Um, they've got prep work, they've got track work, they've got um, stamina work, they've got sprint work, they've got uh, box practice to get them out of the boxes fast. Mm. They are trained as an athlete, which of course they are. Give me a definition of what a training session would look like in terms of stamina work. Well, not so much now, but years ago um, we had a team um, of, of good race dogs and a couple of stayers. The stayers in those days, I would walk six to seven kilometres a day. Yes. Each dog. Plus we would do an hour through the sand dunes down at um, North Brighton Beach. Wow, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, and in between that, they would still get their sprint work and trial work and, yeah. So, so there's an awful lot goes into it. Yeah, and, 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 and it is about then, because, you know, as Lydia would do with any sort of, um, any, you know, sort of, uh, what, what's the word, periodization, is it about getting these dogs to peak at a certain time of the year? Well, greyhounds race twelve months twelve months of the year. Yeah. Um, so once you've got your dog at peak form, it's a matter of just maintaining it and placing the dog in certain races. You know, um, giving it a spell in between in between races so that it can freshen up a bit. Mm. Um, some of the not not me now, but um, some of the top trainers. You know, they certainly target um, the group races and the feature yep. races. Yeah. They will spell their dogs and then work them up two or three months before then to get them ready for those races. You know, they would target those races. Mm. And in terms of the industry itself, it's a healthy industry. Is it, is it booming? Well, it is booming. Um, but right at the moment, I would have to say that um, the future's a little bit up in the air with the um, government review. Um which is sad to see, um, but I mean, we're running more races. We've got plenty of dogs. Um, the turnovers are great. We had a million dollar turnover at Addington just recently. Um, you know, so everything's looking good for for the sport as a whole. So yeah. Okay. Let's pray it continues. Now, for greyhound fans and maybe those that are listening to this, that suddenly we've piqued their interest. What are some of the big meets that are coming up? Um, there's a big meeting on telly tonight at uh, Waikato. Um, I don't follow the um, feature races because my dogs aren't up into that up in that class, so I don't take a great deal of notice, you know, um, planning wise. 
Um, but the, the race meeting tonight would certainly be well worth looking at if you're an interested spectator. There's some of the best dogs in the country going around at Waikato tonight. So, yeah. Mm. Hey, look, David, lovely to have you on the programme. Thank you for your insight. Thoroughly enjoyed the interview. No problem at all. All the very best with your Thank three you dogs too. Yeah, got one racing tomorrow. Good on you. <laughs> Good on you. All, all the very best. Okay. Sorry, which one's racing tomorrow well, so people can go and maybe put a bit of wager on? Uh, Chanel and race six at Addington. There you go, Chanel, race six at Addington. Put, yep. put that one out there. No pressure, David. No pressure, of course. <laughs> no pressure at all, mate. Hey, fantastic. Lovely. Thank you. It is 29 minutes after 11. You're listening to SENZ. Mark Watson along with me. We've got Brian. We've got Sam. Sam's birthday today. He turns 30. Sam thinks fishing's a fair fight. I don't. Text us here on double eight double three. We're going to talk some surfing next. The New Zealand Surfing Championships are on at Piha. Mr. Surfing himself, Ben Kenning's not too far away. Songs called West Coast by Ubizu because it's the West Coast we're heading next. Piha, West Coast of Auckland, New Zealand Surfing Championships. Turn it back up there, Ben. Let's uh, not Ben, Sam, 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 delusional Sam. We think fishing's a fair contest. Right, just before we talk to Mr Surfing himself, Ben Kennings, just want to update the EFL Cup, which is basically the Caribou Cup. Carabao Cup, I should say. Caribou. Caribou's actually a reindeer. People know that? Caribou's a reindeer? It's true. Uh, Nottingham Forest beat Wolves. It was tied up at one all after full time. Nottingham Forest go through 4-3 on penalties. The big upset though, Manchester City have won this competition, what, I think four times in about under Pep Guardiola. They've been beaten by Salad Dwellers Southampton by two goals to nil. So both Southampton, Nottingham Forest go through to the semi-finals of the Carabao Cup. The cup that currently is held by the bite of almighty Liverpool. Right, New Zealand Surfing Championships are on at Pihar at the moment. We spoke to the eight-time winner, looking to try and make it nine. We spoke to Billy Stearmond yesterday. Mr Surfing himself, Ben Kennings, now joins us on the programme to give us a bit of an update on conditions, progress so far. Ben, good morning, welcome. Morning, Otto, how are you? Yeah, good. Look, we've been blessed, haven't we, on the West Coast with all the easterlies, but the wind has changed. It's gone westerly, which has made, I'd imagine, the waves at Piha, certainly where I live at Murawai, just a little bit more chaotic. Yeah, the last, or yesterday and today, have not been too flash, but looks like we're uh, better now, and the wind swung quite a bit more south, which is good for Piha, so conditions are starting to clean up, and uh, it's forecast to clean up Okay, we've got more than 450 competitors taking part across a number of different age categories. Just give us a little bit of a, an update and lay of the land so far. Yeah, so uh, we're, <coughs> excuse me, we're at the quarterfinal stage for the Open Men and Women, and they'll be back at 6 o'clock tomorrow. Uh, the last couple of days we've had to um, get through a lot of the age groups, so under 14 boys through to over 60s men, they just had their final before. Um, and a lot of the early rounds of the other age groups. Um, and the longboard as well yesterday. So it wasn't very conducive to longboard uh, surfing, but that's just the way it is. We have to run every day for seven days straight, and uh, people have to surf and whatever is in front of them. Okay, so you've mentioned that some national titles have been handed out. Who are some of the names that have won those championships, if you've got them there in front of you? 
I don't have them. I've just run back to the events I have the moment, to be honest. Sorry, I don't, but, uh, uh, that's all right. We'll get an update uh, tomorrow so you can, yeah, we'll mention yeah, that people tomorrow. Cool. Yeah. Yep. Uh, okay, so, so what is scheduled for this afternoon and what is scheduled for tomorrow if people do want to go out? Yeah, so we've got um, two full days or two full days of surfing left. We're running from 8 a.m. till uh, 4.30, 5 o'clock each day. Um, same today, we'll be running 2 to 5.30. We've got a lot of the age group semi-finals, so right from the 30s through to the over 55s. Uh, we've just seen some of the junior divisions, under-16 girls surf, also the under-16 boys are up this afternoon. So really they're making the most of what they've got in front of them. And then hopefully the surf will be good when we have um, the open guys and girls out there tomorrow. Yeah, just mention, we, we talked to Billy Stearman yesterday, but who are likely to be his challenges? Who are some of the top men and who are some of the top women that are competing? Yeah, so defending champion is Daniel Farr from Taranaki. Um, very good surfer, New Zealand representative last year. Um, he's going to be one to watch. Uh, the local boy, Elliot Podarta reed he is 2020 national champion when it was held in Dunedin, uh, and also Caleb Cutmore, um, who surfs with Billy quite a bit. He's out of Raglan, looking very strong on his forehand. So if the surf uh, gets big as it's forecast to, um, Caleb Cutmore, I think, will be one to watch. Yeah, I, I was going to ask that. Um, what sort of wave is Pihar, and what type of surfer does well there? Yeah, it's interesting, really. It's got a lot of power. It's on the West Coast, so... Uh, if the surf uh, gets as, as big as what they say, then it's going to be into um, probably the bigger guys, the stronger guys that uh, do big, powerful turns, compared to, for example, if it was a small day, which it could be on Saturday, uh, where you might get some of the lighter surfers uh, that they are doing the aerial manoeuvres, and that may come to the fore, but um, we'll have to wait and see for tomorrow. So over the seven days, you really need to be adaptable to all the conditions because they started out in one and a half metre waves, surfed a bit smaller the next day, tomorrow's probably going to be a two metre swell and then back down to one and a half metres on Saturday. Now Ella Williams, uh, in fact Paige Harrop is the defending women's champion, Ella Williams was our representative in Tokyo but neither of them are competing at these national championships, what are they doing? Yeah that's right, so um, Ella uh, had semi-retired, so certainly retired from international competition uh, I think she may pop up here and there at certain events um, that suit her uh, domestically. And Paige is really targeting the uh, regional qualifying series in Australia, and that starts uh, at the start of next month, start of February. So she'll be heading over there soon. She's currently leading uh, the rankings for Australasia, and she'll be hoping that she gets into the top I think it is to carry on to the Challenger Series in the latter half of the year. Okay, Ben, and just just again, I know we spoke the other night in slightly different audience today, but living out at Murawai, living on the west coast, one thing I've seen is just the boom in surfing with the technology, the soft top boards, and just how big this community is. Um, and I understand that is starting to reflect in the number of competitors that are taking part. Yeah, so. Certainly, we were caught out a little bit with the amount of entries we had for the national championships. Uh, and then a lot of our junior events around the country are sold out within a couple of hours. So um, the demand's there uh, for participating in those events. The kids can come and have fun. 
Um, yes, it's competitive, but it's also about um, going and surfing a different beach, meeting other kids from around the country, having fun surfing in the event and around the event. And I think that's the important thing that we can't um, lose focus on. It's just, you know, we all surf for fun first and foremost. And then if you want to have a go at that competitive side, then do so. But don't forget why you started surfing. Ben Kennings, we will catch up tomorrow. Thank you for your time this morning. Greatly appreciated. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. 21 minutes away from midday. We'll take a break here on SENZ. We'll come back. We'll come back with some cricket highlights from overnight. New Zealand reversing their fortunes, beating Pakistan in the second one-day international, setting it up for an enticing third and deciding game set to go live coverage here on SENZ tomorrow night from 10 o'clock. Thanks to the SENZ app. I've been tuning in at all hours of the day, from Izzy to Ricardo. What a roster we have on SENZ. It's Kiwi for sport. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. You're listening to Summer Days with Ricardo Ball on SENZ. 16 minutes away from midday, New Zealand win the second one day international, 261 runs. In reply, Pakistan all out for 182. Let's hear the highlights of that New Zealand batting performance. Nazim Shah starts from over the wicket with two slips into the pads of Allen, who tucks him to forward square leg and there's no run. Fall outside of off stump and hit into the covers and courts. Nawaz has taken a catch, low down, sharp catch too. And Alan departs at disaster again for New Zealand in the first over. Alan gone for one, New Zealand two for one. More runs for the New Zealand captain. In fact, four of them threw him in wicket. Again, it was short and he was onto it. Not a pull shot as such, more of a wristy flick. And he flicked it through mid wicket. And the New Zealand 50 comes up, 52 for one. Just shorter delivery this time to Williamson. And he forces that one out on the offside. And you can hear the applause for the New Zealand 100 which has come up in the 19th over. It is also Kane Williamson's 41st one-day international half-century. So a milestone on two counts there for New Zealand. The captain gets a 50, and the New Zealand 100 comes up in the 19th over. Here's Mir bowling to Conway, and Conway's driving, and he beats the man, diving to his right at mid-off and down to the boundary for four. That might be a little bit of a release for Devin Conway because it also brings up his one-day international half-century, a third in international one-day is for Devin Conway in his 14th game. So the captain scores a 50, and his batting partner Conway raises his bat for 50 as well in the same over. Shorter, pulled into the mid-wicket region and put down to the right of Harris Sahail. I think he's got one hand on it, and it's gone to ground, maybe two. League side charge dropped by the keeper, flicking the gloves. It carried to his left hand. It went in and it went straight out. Down the wicket goes Conway, hitting in the air and over square for six. Terrific shot from Devin Conway. He came at Wazim, got a bit of width and swung through and all the way over that deep square boundary for six. Turns this one into the leg side, runs the first one hard. He wants the second Conway and he is going to get it. He comes back, punches the air with his bat, Devin Conway. Off comes the helmet. A second one-day international 100 for Devin Conway in just his 14th match. Nazim bowls to Conway. Balin! Fallen straight. And Nazim is the man to break the partnership. Conway trying to play it down the ground with a full face. And he's missed it. And over goes the off stump. The partnership is broken. 
Nazim gets the wicket and Devon Conway's innings comes to an end. Bowled by Nazim for 101. He's beaten here, is he? No, a little thin edge. Nawaz goes up, the finger goes up too. That grip, that spun, he hung the bat out. And the thinnest of edges will see Daryl Mitchell go. Beauty, bold Kane Williamson. Pitching on middle and off, straightening. And the top of his off stump has been sent backwards by the left arm finger spinner, who is Pakistan's trump card. Pulled uppishly, deep backwards, squares lining it up, taking the catch. Nawaz has four, New Zealand melting away. 206 for the loss of six, as Phillips goes for just three. Bracewell on strike. This time he's been struck in front of the pad. Assam has gone up, and so is the finger. He went back. Sent it up for a review, but it looked pretty good. I think Bracewell might be in trouble. Umpire's call, the ball just clipping that off stump. So good enough, the umpire's on-field decision stays, and Michael Bracewell will have to head back. He's out. What a ball that is from Arisrael. Stinging into the leg stump. Too good for Sodi. He's bowled. It whistles past his bat at 139k with a bit of in-swing. And New Zealand will do well to complete all 50 overs, you would think now. 238 for the loss of eight. Southie waits deep in the crease and flicks it uppishly through square leg, out to the boundary and taken. Nazim Shah's almost embarrassed that he's picked up a wicket with that ball. He dropped it short leg side. Southie tried to take it all the way, but he's picked out the man right on the boundary. Last over. Nazim Shah bowling to Santna, who smokes him over long on. 4-6. That was in the slot. Slow ball. He waited and he thundered it. Driven up towards mid-off. They got one. They're going to come back for a second. Santna must rush. He's short on shore. The bales are dislodged. The finger is up. You don't see that too often. Umpire Riaz says, we don't need to check on that. And New Zealand will not see out their 50 overs. But a very handy 37 off 40 from Mitchell Santner. We'll see New Zealand bowled out for 261. One ball remaining in the 50th over. And all out for 261. Was it enough? We'll take a break. We'll come back and we'll bring you Pakistan's chase. These parts. So the Doyen is back on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith returns Monday from 9. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. You're listening to Summer Days with Ricardo Ball on SENZ. Southie in from over the wicket, bending it back in towards off stump. It's pushed up towards Ferguson, mid-off. He's across quickly. It's taken by Latham. Good catch. Higher to his left. Finger is up. Fakazaman is gone. New Zealand have the early breakthrough they so desperately wanted. And Southie, thanks to Latham, as Pakistan six for the loss of one. Ferguson. Oh, short. It's pulled straight up. Can a man get underneath it? Lining it up the catch and taking it is Daryl Mitchell. Lucky Ferguson with gas. Imam Ulhaq couldn't handle it. And he spooned the catch to square leg. Nine for two. Got him! It was fuller. And Rizwan was caught on the crease. And he has been dismissed. Satna gets the breakthrough. A big wicket for the Black Caps. The partnership is broken. Satna dismisses Rizwan with a wonderful delivery. And Pakistan lose their third wicket. 64 for three. Phillips goes a bit yeah! wider. Bigger power for MEW. Finger is up. That looks very good. 
They might review. Arisahal's just got a nod from his skipper, and he goes. Golden arm, Glenn Phillips. Bubba, and he's tried to tap that one down. Chance of the non-strike. Yeah, he's had two. He's a run out. It's Phillips. The ball was played into the point region, just forward of point. Bubba said no. Selman kept coming. Phillips collected, fired at the non-striker's end, and they have hit the stumps. Pakistan lose their fifth wicket, 124 on the board. Brace roll. Yeah. It's bold. Nawaz, he's dragged it on, tried to sweep, and tuned it onto his leg stump. 142 for six, and the tail is now exposed. Start of a new over, and Bubba has got hold of one from Tim Southey, and he sent it over square leg for six. Great start to the over. It was short, and he was onto it like a flash. And there's a start to the over. In fact, it's Osama who's on strike, and he's the one that's taken to Southey. Mighty blow. He's repeated it, and he's going to be out. He's tried to play the same shot, and he has got a top edge and Latham's gobbled it hit him on the yeah. glove it's gone straight up and he's out six and out from Osama and this is over and Saudi has the wicket Pakistan lose their seventh 158 on the board slow delivery chance of a run at the non-strikers and yes he'll be out Wazim sacrifices himself you suspect will wait for the replay played it out to Williamson in the covers they took off for the single and Wazim's been run out at the non-striker's end for 10. New Zealand take their eighth wicket. Sodi continuing. He's bowling to Baba and he's heaved this one. Heaved it over. Extra cover for six. There's a bit of movement from the Pakistan captain. Sodi short of a length and on the front foot went Baba and bang went Baba. 180 for eight. Baba reverse sweep. Loses his balance. Tom Latham wants him to check. Thought he might have... Lost his balance completely, so Alim Dar's going to have a little look. Ooh, the, back I piece. think the back foot is up. As he's lost balance, I think the back foot's up. The Pakistan captain is out, and that might be game, set, match in terms of this one. Pakistan lose their captain, 182 for nine. Here is Sodi, the ball, skied by Ralph. Is there anyone under it to catch it? Yes, there is. Michael Bracewell takes the catch. And that is all she wrote from Karachi, New Zealand. Win the game by 79 runs, and they level the three-game series against Pakistan. 261 all out, plays 182 all out, and that is the end of quite a sensational game of one-day cricket. It had it all. New Zealand, though, get the win. They bowl Pakistan out for 182. Yeah, and we'll have live ball-by-ball coverage for you tomorrow night. Game three, the decider. Well done to the Black Caps. We might have a look at that between 12 and 2. Dale Budge coming up after midday. We'll talk the Tuatara. NZ. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. This is Summer Days on SNZ with Ricardo Ball.
It is four minutes after 12. You're listening to SENZ. News just coming out that rock guitarist Jeff Beck has died at the age of 78 after a sad illness described by many as once-in-a-lifetime or once-in-a-generation guitar player. Joe Perry, lead guitarist from Aerosmith, said he's the best guitar player on the planet. Came through a wonderful era that included the likes of Jimi Hendrix, Jimmy Page and Eric Clapton. So the rock world morning. Jeff Beck. This is a tribute to the great man. Sam, every time I hear a good guitar player, I'm always, I just feel inadequate. I've never, ever done anything in the arts, never done anything in music. It's the one thing I do want to try and master. I bought a guitar last year, and it's sort of been sitting there collecting dust, and I do need to make the start. You do, absolutely. Is it a um, steel string, acoustic, electric, what are we... No, just just a little acoustic. Yeah, is it nylon or steel string? Steel. Nice. Yeah. What brand? Uh, Made in Japan, I think. Oh, okay. Can't remember the brand. Court. There's a few made in Japan guitars. Yamaha? Yeah, no, it wasn't Yamaha. Okay. Maybe it was a, a brand guitar. I hadn't been that familiar with, but I paid a reasonable amount of money for it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, you better get those lessons then. Yeah, yeah. I might be confusing ability with ambition. Perhaps. Takes a lot of time, though. And they say harder, obviously, when you're an adult, not to put you off, but harder when you're an adult. You'll yeah. get those calluses as well on your fingertips. Yeah. Water. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, confusing ability with ambition. Uh, you can't put back in what God left out, some whataisms. Yeah, a couple of whataisms. Yeah, yeah. Our next guest is very familiar with the whataisms. Don't put two-stroke in the Ferrari. Yeah, well, my next guest I might actually, put a bit of two-stroke in the Ferrari on the odd occasion, to be fair. Ask him about the Hellbergs. I might ask him about the Hellbergs. Uh, Mr. Baseball himself, Dale Budge, joins us on the programme. Tuatara in action tonight in Geelong. They take on Geelong Korea must-win series if they try and make the playoffs. Mr. Baseball, Dale, how are you? Uh, a little bit nervous, to be honest, Wado. Um, yeah, Tuatara season is sort of just floundering a little bit, isn't it? Like, hit the wall about two or three weeks ago, just haven't found a way out of it as yet, and now it's down to the nitty-gritty. That, that big advantage they had in the standings, um, say, three weeks ago, just before Christmas, has now been completely eroded, and it comes down to who does best over the next two weeks between them and Canberra to see who gets in and who doesn't. Yeah, so we should explain to people there are two divisions, four teams in each division. Uh, the Southwest Division's got um, the Adelaide Giants, the Perth Heat, the Melbourne Aces, and Geelong Korea. The division that the Tuatara are in are the Brisbane Bandits, the Tuatara themselves, the Canberra Cavalry, and the Sydney Blue Sox. Now, the Bandits have already won the Northeast Division. This was a division that the Tuatara actually won two years ago. Auckland currently have a win-loss record of 14 wins, 16 losses. Canberra are exactly the same, 14 wins, 16 losses. Good news is that Tuatara are playing the bottom of the southwest, Geelong, Korea. And the good news is that the Canberra Cavalry are playing the Perth Heat, who are actually on a little bit of a run. But the Tuatara, as you said, Dale, have been awful. Um, what has manager Steve Mintz, batting coach Darren Prague, what can they do to try and turn the fortunes around? I mean, the bats are just not swinging at the moment. No, I think, to be honest, I think the biggest issue from the weekend was, was the pitching, actually. The, the, the hitting went through a really rough patch. Basically, called on, been great to start the season, called off badly just before Christmas, struggled mightily over that Christmas year period with Adelaide was a little better against Canberra on the weekend and I think if you're I mean still not firing on all cylinders but on enough to be to, win, to be winning games the pitching was 
dreadful over the weekend, unfortunately. Just too many free... I mean, I think one of the games they walked 12 hitters, which is just cardinal sin against a good good offensive lineup like Canberra are. So um, that, that was probably the biggest area of concern. I think there's been some small improvements with hitting. There's still probably two or three guys that uh, are, are amidst the funk still. So I, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see the lineup get changed a wee bit. Um, tonight and, and across the weekend, they... they they do welcome back Su Wei Lin, the Boston Red Sox, ex-Boston Red Sox uh, shortstop, who, who missed the uh, the two games against the Cavalry with that injury, got whacked on the arm against Adelaide and sort of blew up. They won't, might have been a break in there, had the x-rays, everything came back clear. So good good to go again now, back 100%. So he will he will make a difference. And obviously Greg Cullen coming into the lineup, he sort of replaced Lin last week. Uh, now we see these two good hitters next to each other, presumably in the lineup tonight. So... Maybe just a little bit of reason to be optimistic about the hitting, but yeah, the pitching's got to get the job done. That was the big area of concern. And, uh, it didn't really work across the board, unfortunately, against Canberra. Yeah, let's talk about Greg Cullen, the new infielder that has uh, been brought into this uh, Tuatara team. He is on the cusp of making the major leagues or the 40-man starting roster for the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah, so he, he's got an invite to major league spring training, which means He'll turn up there along with a whole bunch of other hopefuls um, in a few weeks' time. Uh, the plan for him, as we understand it, will either be break camp literally with the Orioles in the Major League roster, and at worst-case scenario, if he doesn't break camp with the Orioles, he'll go to their AAA affiliate. Um, he'll be on their 40-man roster, which means no one else can you know, pick him up. He, he's, he's very much in their plans, and um, the expectation is if he has a half-decent season, you'll see him in the majors at some point across the, the 2023 season. Looks really good from what we've seen. Um, had a home run in the second at bat um, on the weekend against the, the Cavs. Made a couple of nice defensive plays as well. Uh, he'll be a really handy addition um, to a team that, as you say, has been struggling offensively. I think he'll give them a little bit of impetus um, over these last couple of weekends and potentially into the finals if, if they can. You talk about Shu Wei Lin coming back in, who's been brilliant and traditionally plays sort of more at shortstop. You've got Greg Cullen, who can come in and is an infielder. So, what players suddenly find themselves under pressure to keep their spot in the lineup, or do we see Shu Wei Lin or Cullen just come in as a designated hitter? Yeah, I think Mincy will mix it up a little bit. He's been the way he's operated this year, he's given Lin at least one game as DH across the weekend just to give him a a rest. Um, the beauty of this series, it's a four-game series across four days, so no double-headers in there. Um, I think, you know, probably Cullen playing most days at second base. Maybe Hoffman gets one or two starts there across the weekend. Might see um, uh, Cabo Rodriguez perhaps sit for a game here or, or DH and have Cullen move over to third base. The other one that wouldn't surprise me is see either Cullen himself, who could play in the outfield, or Jason Matthews, Kiwi player, whose bat's been good, but... Um, they could potentially use him as, a, as an outfielder and replace one of the struggling bats. Some of the struggling bats, you know, I think we sort of talked about it, you did in the commentary last week, Shido, we haven't seen him hit a whole lot. He's not on the roster this week, so already a change there. Jack Barry hasn't had the best offensive season despite the potential. Um, so maybe we'll see a little bit less playing time for Jack Barry um, and, and perhaps one or two of those players that play predominantly in field playing a little bit in the outfield over over the course of the four-game series. Mm, okay. You talk about the pitching. You talk about the importance of trying to win game one when we are away. Who do you think that Steve Mintz will put on the mound tonight? Will, we, will, will we see the set, 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 set? Sorry, go on. Ken Yu will be starting tonight. So he didn't play against Canberra. He was on the roster. Obviously, the two games got washed out. That was one of those was his start. Now, he's been, he's been hot and cold. 
so far this year, and so it's a big move from for Mincy. I know Mincy's school of thought is, you know, when you have a, a debatable selection like that, sometimes if you um, show faith in a guy and you put a bit of onus on him, put a bit of heat on him to, to deliver, then that's when you'll get him at his best. So I think that's his thinking tonight. I have to admit, I'm a little nervous about it. As you said, um, Tenu has been brilliant at times. We saw him absolutely destroy the Canberra lineup in Canberra earlier in the season, but then at other times I've seen him be a little erratic and walk guys and, and uh, you know, not, not get out of the first inning. So, bit of a roll of the dice if you ask me tonight. I think it'll be, um, you know, the series will hang a lot on, on what happens tonight. If Chen uses it his best and the Tuatara bullpen can help him out and get that first up win and control the series a little bit more, we have a little bit more um, you know, room to move with your bullpen for the, for the rest of the series. If not, you're chasing it, and that's where the heat comes on. The weird thing about it, though, Mark, and, and that, this is the, the the key to it all, is the Tuatara need to do whatever the Canberra Cavalry do in their series. That, that's got to be the goal. So if the Cavs take two out of Perth and Canberra, the Tuatara have got to win a minimum of two games against Geelong Korea. Yeah. If the Cavs get swept, Tuatara can pinch one and, and be comfy enough that they've got now that little that little breathing space. But but is um, it, but, but, but Dale is it, is it a breathing space because the almost unstoppable Brisbane Bandits are in town next week for the final home series. I mean, I see what you're saying, but boy, it, it's it's a lot if we just yeah we do need to get oh, the jump though, don't you're we? Gonna, you're not going to feel no, you're not going to be feel you're not going to feel comfortable with anything to be honest unless you, you get a series sweep and, and wipe them out. But um, I think uh, Brisbane, Brisbane will be really interesting. So they have already, as of this moment, with two weeks left in the season, wrapped up top spot, guaranteed. There's is, there is nothing left for the Bandits to play for over the last two weeks of the season other than pride and momentum. Um, I wonder about what the Bandits might might do, whether they bring a full-strength roster across to Auckland next week. Even if they do, are they going to be all in on you know, desperate? The Tuatara obviously have to be desperate if they want to play finals. Baseball, I'm not sure whether the, the bandits will to trip across the Tasman International Flight, New City, whether they're, they're all... I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't want to be Canberra relying on Brisbane being at their best if, if I was a Canberra fan. That's that's what mm. I would say. The, the Cavs won't have it easy because they're arch-rivals. They run into the Sydney Blue Sox, who haven't been great, but are better than their record suggests. And they've got Canberra in the last round, and Sydney will do anything they possibly can to hand their arch-rivals Dale, do you believe if we get the pitching right and we pitch to our potential, we get the hitters going that we are still good enough to win this thing? Uh, Look, I think on paper you'd say at the moment Brisbane, the Adelaide Giants are definitely a step ahead and Perth are starting to make some strides towards catching those two. I think those three are out in front. Uh, Yes, the answer is yes. There's enough talent in the Tuatara roster to, to win it but they're going to have to turn around that form in a significant way if they want to be relevant, because at the moment they are quite some way away and have a lot of work to do to, A, just get there, and B, if they do get there, then they have to turn around. But, like anything, you you work your backside off for 40 games across the regular season, you get to a best of three semi-final, anything can happen. You only have to have two good starts, two good performances from one player, and all of a sudden you're in the championship decider, so... It's, it's a bit of a cruel sport in a way, you know, like Adelaide and Brisbane have been the two teams that have set the standard all season, but it doesn't really matter what they do over the last two weeks, it's all going to come down to, to two days, a couple of weeks' time, and if they get that right, they go on and play for the title. Okay, just give us a little bit of background, just someone texting in here, just wanting to know a little bit about Geelong Korea. I mean, is this a team that's developed and bringing players through out of Geelong? Uh, what is the connection with Korea? No, it's, 
it's an entire Korean team, so it's um, it's an initiative that was like Korean baseball sending players down to KBO, um, sort of guys that are either knocking on the door of playing professional at the professional KBO major leagues, or guys that have been injured through the season and haven't been able to be at their best that are coming to try and get themselves ready for the upcoming KBO season. Um, the geographical thing is they've been based in Geelong, it's a baseball facility in Geelong, so hence the Geelong geographical name, but it's an entire Korean uh, roster. I can't tell you a whole lot about the players. I've seen some of the Korean players um, this year be among the league leaders. There's a home run hitter who's been very prominent. He's been second in the home run alley at this point. They've got a couple of good starters. So not, this, this will not be an easy series at all. Mm. Um, but the, the focus for that roster is largely about getting themselves ready for the KBO season. So perhaps, again, they won't be quite as desperate. They're not in the playoff. Mathematically, they're still in, but they're not really in the playoff hunt. So just a chance that maybe the Tuatara can be, if, they, if they're as sharp as they need to be, and that's a big if because they, they haven't been there the last few weeks, if the Tuatara can be sharp, perhaps Geelong Korea won't be as desperate to win as, as perhaps the Auckland side will be. OK, Dale, and before we do let you go, um, people can watch live coverage, go through the ABL website, watch live coverage of the Tuatara tonight starting at 7 o'clock. But we want to try and get people along um, Friday week because it is the last home series against the Brisbane Bandits. Absolutely, yep. Last time we will see baseball at Auckland this season. Uh, almost certainly the semi-final, um, Tuatara can't host the semi-final now with Brisbane having locked it up, so it means the semi-finals will be away. There is a mathematical chance that if they made it to the final, one game potentially could be here, but I think realistically you'd be saying this is your last chance to see baseball at Auckland this summer. Uh, it'll be a Friday, double a Saturday, and a Sunday 11 o'clock a.m. finale. Dale Budge, as always, thank you for your time today on the programme. Cheers, mate. Thank you. There you go. Tuatara in action. Big series against Geelong Korea starting tonight. Four games over the next four days. Must win series. 18 minutes after 12. You can text the programme here on 8833. You can telephone 0800 150 Come back. We might open the lines. Still want to get a bit more discussion and thought on the Halbergs. And also just this little issue that we've been having um, today. I, I think it's clear that I'm probably sitting on the right side of the ledge in regards to the general consensus. But fishing, is it a fair fight? 18 and a half after 12. Needs to help you succeed in your field. You're listening to Summer Days with Ricardo Ball on SENZ. Not quite as good looking as Ricardo Ball, but Mark Watson with you through to two o'clock as we celebrate Sam Hewitt's 30th birthday. Big happy birthday to the big fella. Time to open the lines on 0800 150 The 2023 Helberg Award finalists have been finalised. Adam Hall, Cameron Leslie, Corey Peters, Nicole Murray, Dame Sophie Pascoe for the para-athlete, para-team of the year. Sportswoman of the year, Elise Andrews for track cycling. Dame Lisa Carrington for yet again winning in kayaking. Lydia Coe, number one ranked female golfer in the world. Ruahi DeMont for rugby. Zoe Sadowski Sinnott, winner of the gold and silver at the Winter Olympics, our first ever gold medal at the Winter Olympics. Sportsman of the Year, Aaron Gate. Dylan Schmidt for winning the World Trampoline Championships. Nico Porteous winning a gold at the Winter Olympics, our first male Olympic winter gold medalist. Paul Cole for defending his British Squash Championship and winning double gold at the Commonwealth Games. Shane Van Gisbergen for motorsport. Team of the Year, Black Ferns. And then Joel King, Amanda Landers-Murphy for squash. Joel King, Paul Cole for squash. Kerry Williams, Grace Prendergast for rowing and the New Zealand eventing team.
We'll look at Coach of the Year a little bit later. A couple of notable omissions. No room for Ajay's Patel. Takes 10 wickets in a test. Only third player in history to do it. Did it in India against the Indians. It did fall inside the window for nomination. Can't make it. Quite unbelievable. No room for the number one jockey in the world at the moment. James McDonald, why is it that we don't seem to recognise our jockeys? Why are they not considered to be sports people when our motorsport drivers are? And also, Brendan Hartley wins Le Mans 24. Doesn't pick up a nomination either. When you're talking the Triple Crown of motorsport, you're talking the Monaco Grand Prix, you're talking the Indianapolis 500 and you're talking Le Mans. Why is it certain sports get given the nod and others don't? Uh, when it comes to the overall award, I don't think there's too much doubt here that it should go to Zoe sadowski Sinnott. I know a lot of people will be jumping up and down, and I know the left here, and a lot of feminine, uh, female journalists will all be saying it should be the Black Ferns. While it created nationalism here, and while it was remarkable, let's not kid ourselves, there are only three countries in the world that could win this. There's not the international depth. While it's a great achievement, the fact that they've actually won it six times also reinforces my previous point a great moment but it does not beat Zoe Sadowski Senate Graham good afternoon welcome G'day Mark how are you good thanks yeah and happy birthday to Sam Hewitt too <laughs> yeah yeah no he's only getting better looking with age too <laughs> I thought you were remarkably um you know, he showed a lot of humility before saying Ricardo Ball was better looking than you. Oh, no, he's an attractive man. He's got long hair. He looks, um, yeah, he just looks like a rock star. <laughs> oh, right. I, I'm sort of, I've right. got sort of more of that pretty boy pop star look. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't say, yeah. A latter-day Cliff Richard. No, that, that's not, you're no Cliff Richard. Let's all no, go not... on a summer holiday. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I was actually going to talk a bit of cricket and the um, Halberd. Please actually, do, yeah, absolutely. I enjoyed the interview. I only heard the second half of it with Jeremy Coney yesterday. Um, yeah, I agree with everything he said, especially about one-day cricket. Yeah, um, I think, yeah, the, I'd love to see a reignition of uh, interest in that, you know, because T20, I think, um, you know, it, it's a pain in the you-know-what. It's good for players' bank balances, and um, but, you know, it's becoming a bit of a joke. You know, I mean, I don't blame people for, for taking, you know, the money, but... Um, you know, like the Trent Bolt situation, well, hopefully he gets back, we get him back for, you know, sort of up in the air. He could be back for the English series, but I know you're pretty hot on the subject. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I just like to see one-day cricket full stop, you know, back to the good old days. I don't care if people say you're romanticising the past, but most, a lot of things in sport were better in the past. You know, let's face well, it. Well, I mean, look, I think... Not t- kayaking or, and rowing. No, but I, th- <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I think T20 cricket, is only only popular around the world with all these leagues because of the population in India, arguably maybe Sri Lanka and Pakistan. But the rest of the world, we don't care about a T20 series going on in the West Indies. We don't care about any T20 no. series going on. The um, the big bash, I mean, uh, what, you know, the one in India, what do they call it, the IPL? Um, yeah, yeah. Th- th- look, I'll argue the IPL is nothing short of money laundering anyway, having sort of spent some time up in India and understanding how things operate up there. Uh, I mean, Absolutely. to me, look, Trent Bolt, he has decided that he wants to go and do that. I'd love him to be available for the second test against England, but I only want people who want to play for my country playing for my country, mate. Oh, exactly. And it's, um, you know, I mean, many years ago, Glenn Turner 
turned his back on New Zealand, but he did it because he fell out, you know, because he stood up for well, cricket fa- as being professional. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he made, a, he made a moral stand. I know people, some people didn't think that, but he did, actually, like Graham Murray and Bruce Robertson with the 81 Springbok tour, but... You know, you know, and they pulled out. You know, people agree or disagree, but you know, but this, but the, these guys are now making it. You know, and Kane Williamson's done it too, but he gets a, he doesn't get a lot of criticism for it, actually Kane Williamson. But you know, I think at times he's been, you know, these injuries. Oh, yeah, you can play. You can't play Test cricket or one day cricket, but you can play. IPL in this case in no, well, I mean, you know, I'll say it yeah. last year the difference the, you know we lost that series didn't we to England three tests to nil it was um, notable that you know Williamson didn't perform and his build up was the IPL um, and he arrived very late to Eng- England and you know yet, yeah how miraculously that injury to the elbow cleared up for the IPL but he wasn't available for Bangladesh or South Africa earlier in the year and I don't appreciate that, I I just don't I understand making a living but if you don't want to play for your country, don't play for your country certainly don't captain it Absolutely not, I agree and you know, and on the um, Halbergs yeah, it's it's controversial and rightly so because it because it's by nature, it's got more and more, more so. It's become a bit more of a popularity contest. But I mean, I loved what the Black Ferns did. But I do agree with you um, that, that Joey, Joey should get it. You know, just um, you know what she did with the scheme and that is just amazing. And um, yeah, she should. You know, I think yeah, she should get the top award. And um, yeah, I just don't. I, I mean, I, I've got a good feeling she will. Um, well, I certainly hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, look, Graham. I think it's um, it's just yeah, just making sure that it's um, just doesn't end up just becoming a popularity contest or based on the sport that gets the most coverage, which I think they've been guilty of in the past. Hey, look, Graham. Lovely to have you on the program. Thank you. Um, just got new sport and weather coming up shortly. Hi, Barry. Hi, hey, Wally. How are you? Good. Thanks. Hey, just talking about the um, black ferns. Um, in the semi-final, the the, the French lady had a kick for a penalty. Mm. on the 80th minute, which nine times out of ten she would kick, and she missed it. Mm. So, I mean, like, you know, Wayne Smith had no coaching about that kick, if you get what I mean. No, so, no, but he did have a lot. To, I understand where you're coming from. He did have a lot, though, to still keep oh, it that close. Yeah, sure. But what I'm saying is if they'd got beaten in the semis, would would would... You know, would would we be um, praising them as much as we are? I don't. I mean, I'm, I'm not bursting. Their oh bubble. no, no. Look, if they hadn't won, we wouldn't be discussing them at all. Uh, and look, it's not about bursting mm. their bubble. This is my thing with the women's rugby. It's great. I loved every minute of it. It presented us some nationalism at quite a tough time. You know, whether all the rest of it just come off the back of COVID. We've got interest rates high. We've got a country that's somewhat divided. It came exactly the right time, Barry. But it's not the be all and end all. And I know that right. a number of female journalists, particularly, really want to try and push women's sport. And uh, it's and yeah. I, sometimes I feel it's almost like they don't just want equality, they almost just want a little bit of revenge over men and I didn't like the politicisation of a lot of it but the reality is the reality is if you want to talk seriously about women's sport then you've also got to be able to handle the criticism I've said this previously about the softball World Cup, I've said this previously about the Rugby League World Cup, I've said this previously about the Men's Rugby World Cup, still on on a global scale Barry, they are still minority sports Oh absolutely but but, but what, what I'm saying is, if that French girl kicks a penalty, you know, this discussion's not happening. Correct. Um, 
it, you know, and nine times out of ten she would kick that, but she choked. She choked, you know. Oh, nothing, be- um, nothing better than a, 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 a French rugby player choking. I've got a feel- sneaking feeling when it comes to the men's uh, World Cup this year. I'm not sure the French will choke. I think the French will win the men's rugby World Cup this year. Barry, lovely to have you on the program. It's now to stand back and let's have the dulcet tones of our new sport and weather. Ah, oh, almost feel like it's. Love Songs to Midnight with Watto. Give us a rap, Watto. You're a good rapper. On the radio, they call me Watto. My wife calls me Lotto. Seven balls and the bonus baby. <laughs> I think we're going to need some new lyrics from I you. I know, though. that's all I've got, mate. That's all I've got at the moment. <laughs> we'll work on something. That's you just write something down. And, and there's no connotation. I'm just talking about the Lotto balls, by the way. Yeah. Um, Someone just texted anyone to know what time the break is. Melbourne United game is tonight. That's 7.30. That game is being played in Christchurch. Just 7.30, the breakers take on Melbourne United. Uh, just some other texts that have come and I do want to get to. We asked the question whether or not fishing is a fair fight. Greg's text and he says, To be honest, what I, there are enough crap fishermen out there to make it a fair fight on average. Me included. I fish in the inner Hauraki Gulf and mostly feed the small ones. Uh, someone saying, I am a former sports journalist and there's no way the black fans will get my vote and Zoe all the way also you are so right about the black socks and Kiwis yeah, it's amazing isn't it when it comes to King's Honours Queen's Honours um, New Year's Honours lists etc when you look back through the history of the Hellbergs how those particular sports black socks Kiwis seem to be often left out not part of the discussion and do we have a prejudice towards sports that are the working man's game that come from the other side of the tracks or blue collar, however you want to surmise it. Another text that's come in, hey, uh, Watto, isn't uh, isn't riding horses just like James McDonald? Does I see they've got... Event riding. Oh, sorry. Isn't event riding horses just like James McDonald? That's exactly right. So we've got... That's exactly... It's a great text. That's a great point. So we've got the New Zealand eventing team nominated in the teams... And they're riding horses and they're jumping and they finish third. And yet James McDonald can't be recognised yet. He rides a horse as well. Oh, that's right. One's elitist. One's, well, it's horse riding. That's the TAB. That's people who smoke and the other sort of negative perceptions people have. And that then creates the perception that there is a prejudice, isn't there, towards what we call blue-collar sports or the working person's sports. Do we just need to make the Hellbergs some sort of democratic vote where it's just the public who vote no, on it? No, because then it's based on who gets the most television coverage. And so, therefore, it's going to be Netball Cricket League. Right. Because yeah. I, 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 no. I'm just putting this down to the people that are making the decisions. They just give it to me decision. decision. just give it to, it to you. No, yeah, I know everything. There's people that are making decisions I here that are clearly are stuffing everything up. The, the problem is as well, though, I mean, you give me any sport and I can pretty much give you a criticism as to why they shouldn't be nominated for a Hellberg, mm. I reckon. Right. Apart from, do you know what I re- if you won the 100 metres at the Olympics, actually, actually no, any, no, any if, track and field Olympic gold. No, if you gold, won the 100 metre at the Olympics, you wouldn't get it because you're a drag sheet. <laughs> right. But any Olympic track and field medal is about as pure a form as no technology, you know, international sport, lots of um, countries, very competitive. That's about as sort of, you know, clean as it gets. But everything else, I mean, you want to talk about motorsport. Well, you know, we can always go down the road of the technology doing yeah, most yeah. of the work, etc. How, et cetera, it, how much of it's the Indian, not the arrow? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then, you know, you want to talk about um, 
other sports that aren't global. You know, you, I think you can pick apart every sport, can't you? Absolutely. Look, I think if you win a, a tennis major you have, or Grand Slam, you're probably going to be in the mix, aren't you? I yeah, that's true. If you true, do actually, win a golf, golfing major, you're probably going to be. Well, no, but then, you know, golf as well, you, you're probably going to say things like, oh, well, the best players with LIV aren't, you know, like you could go down all sorts yeah, of oh, roads. Oh, you can now, but historically you couldn't. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway. Yeah. You're an intelligent man for 30. Yeah, I feel wiser, actually, today. I feel a little bit wiser. No, maybe like that's because I worked with you I for two like days I've now. I have educated you a little bit. Yeah, yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, or maybe um, it's just because Brian's sitting next to you and he's an intelligent, good-looking man. And uh, what I'm really looking forward to is actually my birthday present, which is you're taking me out for a round of golf out at Muruai, aren't you? I am. Um, out to the Lynx course. Well, it's not really Lynx, yeah, but it's you know, sand base, you. isn't it? Go and play your nine holes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Driver on a par three, is it? Yeah, out there. I'm pretty good at surging, though, mate. I hope you've got a head like granite. Oh, I don't want to live inside your head, Have you not heard me at the darts board over there? Mate. No. Whenever we're playing darts over there with the people out in the SNZ office, I'm I'm 90% talk and 10% action. Yeah, no, no. And I still to, win the game. Fair to say. <laughs> Dean, good morning, afternoon. How are you? Yeah, good. What are you, Seth? Yeah, good, thanks. First of all, uh, all the best for 2023. Love no. the comment on the um, uh, Halbergs. Like, for me, I'm big enough, I know. Like, I, honestly, history's really, really important. And for those two... Winter Olympians to get gold medals when they've done that before, it almost should be a lay down Mazir. I think Lydia's done incredibly well to come back in a sport that's very, very competitive. I think that's what's important. Like, I love what the, uh, the Black Ferns did, but it was a three horse race. So, I don't know. You've got to put it in perspective, and history's history, you know. So, I'd give it to uh, the girls' finick and as a Porteous, yeah, Nico Porteous, Nico Porteous. Yeah, the other thing with golf, like, oh, don't get me wrong, it's a huge sport. It's not quite as big on the women's side as it is on the men's side, but they get they get a lot of chances to right the wrongs from week to week. To win Olympic Games gold medal, you really only get one chance every four years. You make a mistake, you go away another four years, and that's what I think makes sports like that unique. Oh, I totally agree, and and both those names we've mentioned, it wasn't their first rodeo at having a go. You know, they both medaled before and. To go to the pinnacle of that sport, that sport for me, that's what sports about. Like you can, uh, everyone, all of the people nominated are outstanding athletes. I don't, I didn't realise James McDonald hadn't been notified or nominated. I don't really know what else he's got to do to be on the list. But well, he's got to play rugby. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sick of that too. Like I, that's what was really, really ringing about. I, I've just watched for the first time actually. I watched a game of that Gallagher Shield in England. It was Saracens versus Gloucester, so I probably got a very good game to watch. But the thing that I noticed was Orange Dairy Stadium in, in Christchurch is exactly wherever that game was played. We don't need a 60,000-seat stadium for sport in New Zealand. We could bloody do with something, if we're serious about tennis, with a roof. And I don't really know why all the sport has to go to Auckland. I've been looking at the tennis. I love the softball. No one's there either. No, no, no. Look, people, but, but, but Dean, Dean, people are no longer um, watching live sport anymore, are they? Because I think, as we talked about yesterday, we've sanitised it too much. We've taken the fun away from it. Um, I think public relations firms have taken too much control for the big sports organisations. People are not allowed to show any personality anymore. Um, and I think it's sometimes priced out of people's reach. I think the game day experience is not good enough. Uh, regards to big stadiums, I mean, what did they, I think it was Chris Ratto out of the New Zealand Herald who summed Eden Park up. Basically, most times a sporting event on is a cemetery with chips. Yeah, and the chips are yuck. You know, like, that's the other thing that's wrong with it. I've rung this channel before. Like, 
Forsyth Bar, we got a fabulous stadium. Like they've, they've got something right here in Dunedin with that, and I'm pleased I live here and have the opportunity to go to everything that is there, because I'm a believer if we don't, we won't get it anymore, because I don't want to have it down here anyway, but at least we know we're going to have a roof, and we're going to have as good a rugby as you can get, but the food is disgusting. Oh, oh yeah, no, I know. I mean, you, you go there, you pay your money, and then you, you, you come home with high cholesterol and drop dead of a cardiac arrest because of the fat dog they served you. And then when you are queuing up to buy the food at a lot of these stadiums, you're just checking to see which banks are offering the best interest rates because you need to take out a loan to pay for it. Then they have the gourmet burger, which has been left in the microwave um, for far too long, but you don't have to worry about dropping it because it'll bounce back up. It's so rubbery. <laughs> Lovely to have you on the programme, Dean. Thank you. 17 and a half, or 16 and a half minutes away from one o'clock. Text come in from Kevin. You win a tennis major? You're probably in. Tell that to Michael Venus. Yes, of course, he won the French Open in doubles, didn't he? Um, I think he was nominated, though, wasn't he? he? I think he did pick up a nomination. I think there is a difference, though, realistically now, between a doubles major championship and a singles. Um, I'm not sure doubles holds its place in tennis that it once did. You remember back in the day in the 1980s, they said, who's the best doubles players or who's the best doubles team in the world? And they said John McEnroe and anyone. Anyway, we're going to take a break. On the back side of it, it is Stumped with Watto. This is the quiz. This is where you jump on the phone on 0800 150 811. Try and stump me. It won't be that damn hard. I'm not that bright. In agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. You're listening to Summer Days with Ricardo Ball on SENZ. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Super Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Cracking. Cracking stroke that by Mark Watson. Sitting in the chair, Watto, and you got the gloves on, the kookaburras or the grey nickels. Yeah, have gone, gone with Newbury. Newbury, okay. Remember Newbury back in yeah, the 80s? Yeah, I do remember that. Lance Keynes yeah, played. Yeah. The, the Excalibur was a Newbury bat. Okay, so you've got the Newburys on behind the stumps yeah. and looking to uh, to whack you all around the ground today, I think, is Gary from uh, Patatadu. Gary. Did, did like the Duncan Fernley Magnum too, by the way. Oh, yeah. Gary, are you there? G'day, guys. How are you? Yeah, we're doing great, Gary. Calling from Patatadu. What's uh, what's doing in Patatadu at the moment? Oh, same as usual, mate. Not much. No. Um yeah, a lot of tourists go through, but don't stop. Um, that's fair enough. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough, Gary. Okay. Uh, you know how the game works, mate. Three categories to choose from. Uh, three questions in the category that you do choose. Um, if you get one wrong, what it gets a chance to knock your bales off. If not, and you're alive at the end of question three, you win yourself a $50 TAB bonus bet. Topics for today, NHL, Olympics, and the new one is football or football, as uh, Brian has written it down here. Uh, what are you selecting, mate? What do you like? No, I have to go with football, I think, mate, of those three. Okay, not don't back yourself in the NHL Olympics. Absolutely no idea about either three, but, um, yeah, football's quite top good, isn't it? <laughs> okay. Um, we'll, go with that. <laughs> we'll see how you go. Let's go. Question number one. And it's fair to say this has got a bit of a Premier League theme. Who currently sits at the bottom of the Premier League table? I did check that uh, yesterday. That would be Southampton. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Just checked it yesterday. Interesting. Okay, question number two. Watto's poised. He's ready to go with the gloves. He's ready to knock bells off. And Watto backs himself with a bit of football as well. Oh, you to a degree. Not question really. number two. What team has scored the least amount of goals this season in the Premier League? Oh, it's guessing here we'll go Queen's Park Rangers. One of the worst things I have ever seen 
done on a cricket field. Queen's Park Rangers playing in what League One at the moment, aren't yeah. they? What are they? They're wee ways down. Do you? Do you have any goals? Okay. That's <laughs> true. They don't have any goals in the Premier League. What? What do you reckon? I am going to go with. I will go. I'm just trying to work Southampton's down the bottom. Notts Forest have got themselves. I'm going to go with Everton. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket. It's field. Wolves. Wolverhampton. They have 11 goals so far this season. So uh, that's that's in down the bottom. So question number three here, Gary. Get this one right. You take home the chocolates, okay? Just take your time and think about it. What team has kept the most clean sheets? So far this season in the EPL, what team? Take uh, your time. Okay. Might be. Uh, is there a Kiwi? Can I ask? Is a Kiwi playing? I I'm not gonna. I don't think I can say yes or no to that. I feel Why like not? that's cheating. It's not cheating. It's like no worse than fishing. I like the nurse. So I'm gonna go with Newcastle. Then. Newcastle. Interesting. You don't want to go Man City or. Liverpool or one of these other ones? Probably no, not no, Liverpool. He's giving you okay, he was giving me Newcastle. Quite defensively sound, so I'll stick with that. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. I can't believe he got that right. Well, I'm going to give that to Gary. No, he got it right. Newcastle's the correct answer. How did you, I don't know how on earth you got that, Gary, but you just win it probably because Chris Wood's in the team. That was about it, mate. Kiwi first. Oh, there you go. Sam played Jerry. with Chris Wood, by the way, Gary. Yeah, let's not talk about that. But Gary's just won himself a $50 TRB bonus bet. Will you be putting it on the Premier League, Gary? Absolutely not. Uh, it'll go on some greyhound tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, got us the tip then. Share it with the listeners. Well, I haven't had a look yet, but um, All right. always, always hit the red rag. There you go. Oh. All right. Well, hold, go. hold the line, Gary, and uh, Brian will get your details. And Watto, you've uh, lost two days in a row now. Had a chance to, to uh, knock the bales off in question two. Didn't do so. Thanks, Sam. <laughs> Should we take a break? Oh, should I call you? Okay. All right. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts, and service needs to help you succeed in your field. You're listening to Summer Days with Ricardo Ball on SENZ. We've had a number of outstanding texts today on the Temper Bedpost text machine. Temper and Bedpost range of mattresses and adjustable bases adapt to the exact shape of your body so you can put your head and feet up in comfort. Do check out Temper and Bedpost like no other. And we played some cricket highlights earlier today and of course just want to acknowledge Razine, the paint the professionals use. Razine, the expert paint and colour advice. Used right. to work at Resin, you know. Did you? Yep. Yep. Make some paint. Favourite, Selling paint. Favourite colour? Sea fog, probably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in terms of your whites and neutrals. Yeah, um, I like antique, to be honest. <laughs> antique? Yeah, yeah no. Antique I'll, white's nice. Yeah, I liked um, sea fog. If I had to go for a colour that was uh, off-white or, or, you know, sort of a colour, there was a, um, I think it was called aquamarine. Very nice teal. Yeah, we'll see when McLaren released a car a few years ago, they actually named, and they did it in a bluey colour, they actually named the colour in the UK Moody White because they used to have a batch and race its cars out at Moody White. Interesting. Yeah. That's great. That's, fan- that's good it bit is. of knowledge yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, so we, if you need a paint. Maybe, we could talk paint after one. We'd love to. Yeah, yeah. If you need any painting advice, I'm your man. You are your man. Yeah. yeah. I still would still give it to you, run for, for free, don't charge. So. Yeah, I'm just keen to know the ratios. Happy to tell you. Revolutions per minute in terms of shaking the tin. Happy to do it. Brilliant. Let's talk paint after one. In agriculture, covering your equipment, parts, and service needs to help you succeed in your field. This is Summer Days on SNZ with Ricardo Ball.
every day, yeah, yeah. Ooh, baby, I love your way, every day. Shadows grow so long before my eyes, and they're moving across the page. Listening to love songs to midnight here on SENZ. Uncle Waddy here to break hearts and bring people together. If you've got a crest, send it through on. Sam, how are you? It sounds a little love songs to midnight, my big fella. Well, that's your interpretation, Mark. It's your perspective, as we might say, um, as the lobsters on the Titanic all, know all too well. Yeah, if you're not sure. Yesterday on the Was pro- it love songs they were getting played well, as the ship went down the, we uh, the mentioned on the radio. Yesterday we mentioned on the radio that life's about perspective and that while the Titanic was sinking, it was a great human disaster, the lobsters that were in the galley of the kitchen waiting to be basically on death row thought the damn thing was a miracle. We did some research and they probably could have only just survived in the cold freezing waters. And then... We thought, oh, we'll move things into whether fishing's a fair fight today, having the discussion around whether just going out fishing is a fair fight. You put an incentive on a hook, you drop it down, the fish comes along, thinks, thinking it's part of its, no, party, part of its natural environment. Mm. Oh, there's a little pilchard, and I'm entitled to eat that. Let's not let's not use the word entitlement. You, 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 okay. you get the hook in the mouth and next minute you're in a frying See, pan. See, this is the problem with fish, okay? They are so entitled, <laughs> you know. Everything's moving in the fish's favour nowadays, isn't it? Oh. Everything, it's just peak. Mate, it's we, just should woke. Up, we should it start, fish we should start wokeness. Up, we should start up there. a left-wing lobby group <laughs> to support the pilchard. And the self-entitled snapper. Just going back to the Titanic in perspective. So you could argue that the band that played while the ship went down for the passengers were playing funeral yeah. music. For the lobsters, it was like the angels playing the trumpets in heaven, wasn't it? That's a beautiful analogy, Sam. I'd never really <laughs> thought about it. I wonder what song they were playing as it went down. Yeah, it's a good question. Great question. Maybe people have got some ideas. They could text us. No electric guitars then. No, not at the time. Not mm. far off, though. Are we going to talk some serious sport this hour? I thought you wanted to talk paint. I did want to talk paint, but aren't we supposed to be talking to um, Craig Carter? Yeah. Well, should we well, let the paint dry we'll, we'll a little get, bit? We'll get Craig up, and then we are going to talk some paint because we do want to acknowledge Rosine, the paint and prof, uh, the paint the professionals use. We're going to bring you coverage tomorrow here of the third One Day International between Pakistan and New Zealand, brought to you by Rosine for expert paint and colour advice. Sam used to work for Rosine, so we're going to talk a little bit about mixing of paint. Um, yeah off on some bizarre tangent as we often do now look there's a new wider Auckland Club knockout competition that's about to take place in March and it could well be a preview to the future of club rugby in the region and a shot in the arm that I think club rugby probably needs. The pre-season knockout competition features leading clubs from Auckland North Harbour as well as Counties Manukau um, that all make up the super city that is known as Auckland Joining us here on the programme to discuss this is former Counties Manukau Rugby Chairman, Craig Carter. Craig, good afternoon. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. 
No problem at all. What a good to be yarning to you. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I mean, it's right, isn't it? Club rugby is struggling somewhat. It does need um, a little bit of an injection. It does need something slightly different. I guess there's always been that level of curiosity. Which is the stronger of the club comps? Is it North Harbour? Is it Auckland? Is it Counties Manukau? And I guess this is going to give us uh, a little bit of an insight into some of those questions. Yeah, I guess so. And remembering that these teams are playing each other pre-season anyway. So we just thought uh, Auckland, North Harbour and ourselves, we got together prior to Christmas and we thought we'd try to do something a little bit different, try to raise the profile. Uh, they'll get to have a pre-season programme, but then they'll also get to find out who the, who the overall champions are of the wider Auckland area. Now, is this all clubs in the competition or is this yep. just some chosen clubs? No, all clubs at the moment. We've got three three divisions, so right across. The only club that uh, hasn't been able to make it is Auckland University at, at this stage because they had a commitment in Christchurch. Okay, all right. In terms of the draw, um, how is how how do we determine who's playing who? So we've got yes, we're looking at three three groups of of eight. Uh, so I think we've got uh, three Auckland clubs. So it's all based on the 2022 rankings. So I think the three Auckland clubs from top of mind are uh, Grand Protect, uh, Ponsonby and the Gallagher Shields winners, Manukau, Manukau Rovers, those three. And then the top three from counties were Manuri with the McNamara champions from 2022, Patamahoe and uh, Karaka. And then the two, two sides, uh, one and two from North Harbour, which uh, Takapuna were the champions in 22 and North Shore. Mm. Okay, and, and then from that it just flows down to the next, the next eight, and then the, the following eight. Okay, and, and what's been the response from the clubs? Are they expecting to put up? I mean, clearly it's pre-season. Clearly, it's an opportunity to give the wider squad a run to find out what works, what doesn't work. Are we still going to be playing under the eighty-minute rules? Is there opportunities for? Is it going to be played in four quarters? I mean, how's it going to look? Yeah, I think we're looking at the four quarters because, you know, we're remembering it is pre-season and we want to make sure all the clubs have a good opportunity to have a good pre-season program. And have everyone's guaranteed three games. So we've got four quarter finals, finalists and then the winners play the winners and the losers will play the losers. So everyone's guaranteed three games. But you're right, we're looking at four quarters, maybe using up to 30 players. Have, but then I'm real keen for the coaches to, de- to decide. So we might get to the final stage and the coaches might go, you know what, we want to play it like it's a game and only have 23 players and play two 40s. One for the, for the final, but two also because I'll be playing in the club competition the final week. Yeah. Now, Craig, there's always been, I guess, discussion that the club competition seems to be over quite early in the rugby season. It's pretty much done and dusted sort of by July or partway through July. And then you've got sort of August, September, no club rugby. Is there discussion about possibly taking what you're doing pre-season and making it post-season and then developing it into a regional championship and then possibly into a national championship? I th- yeah, and I think it was one of the reasons why we're doing this, uh, because we just want to try something a little bit new, and there's lots of discussions about other, other types of alternatives. Uh, one of the options, was, which came out of North Harbour actually, was to have you know run your club competition and then have a, a Champions League on the back end of your club competition. So whether that's in that period there. But just also realising you know, club players are you know, busy people, most 95% of them are working Monday to Friday. So, you know... Uh, to extend the club season to, uh, from what it is now would be a bit of a challenge for the average club player.
Okay. What about the idea of just a complete amalgamation as part of the regular season? I mean, we're seeing a lot of clubs having to amalgamate simply through playing numbers. We see across all the competitions there are the top teams which seem to be quite close and then the bottom half of the competition teams that just seem to get thrashed every week. Uh, In terms of having quality rugby every week, is there an argument to just make the Greater Auckland one club comp? I'm not sure for quite ready for that. You know, but one of the great things I love about club rugby is just all the history. You know, Ponsonby's 149 years. I think North Shore's 150 years this year. And, you know, you talk to the Ponsonby people and that's all. And, you know, the Gallagher Shield is, is what it's all about. And being a county's Manukau man myself, you know, that's what we strive to win the McNamara Cup. That's what we're all about. So really want to recognise the history. Of, but, you know, maybe, maybe there's things like this. One of the other ideas was like an FA Cup type thing, knockout competition across the three provinces. Yep. But that was one of the key things, just to try to get people thinking about doing things a bit differently. Because I actually think Club Rugby is a really great great product. You get along to watching the sideline between a game. You know, I watch Patamaho vs Pukekohe or Patamaho vs Manurea. They're great games of rugby. And yeah. You're right there seeing it. Well, oh no, I agree, and I think it's just one area that New Zealand rugby continues to neglect. It's one area I think uh, unions tend to neglect a little bit. But again, I, I lay blame at the top. You know, New Zealand rugby too much emphasis on the All Blacks. The whole thing's become way too top heavy. But what I'm sort of sensing here, Craig, is that the clubs are aware of this. The clubs know they need to do things differently, and they're looking for new ways. Yeah, I think you're right because that's why the clubs are putting it there and saying, you know what? Yeah, we're keen to give something else a bit of a bit of a crack do something a bit differently. So yeah, we probably need to take ownership ourselves a wee bit rather than, you know, looking at to be fed down from time to time. Yeah, just just while we're talking club rugby here, what are you what are clubs in the county's Manukau region doing to try and address the issue of kids that leave school and then no longer go on and continue playing? I mean what what's that connection there? How do you how do you encourage kids to continue with their rugby progression beyond school or beyond the age of sixteen and seventeen? Uh, you're, you're right, Wada. It's, it's a blooming challenge, but we just need to be better at it. We're trying to get our clubs to get really aligned with our schools so we know exactly, you know, because it's really hard at the moment. You know, we've got our clubs are really strong in that junior space, and then all the kids go and play college rugby. So you sort of wave goodbye and, and hope they'll come back in four or five years' time. So we've just got to make sure that connection is, is really tight. And, you know, if clubs have got much more to offer than just rugby. You know, a lot of people tied up the rugby are employers. And I know in the county's Manukau area, you know, there's a lot of tradies around, so there's opportunity for apprenticeships and that type of thing. So clubs just, we just need to make sure that we're putting our best foot forward and telling people, you know, that clubs can offer much more than just rugby and all the camaraderie and the friendships that come with that. It's, uh, there's other opportunities out there, whether it be employment and that type of thing. Yeah, one of the big issues I see, and I see it particularly in Auckland rugby with the strong Pacific and Māori populations, is they tend to develop a lot of area, and we tend to get a lot of bigger kids playing here in Auckland. And I th- think sometimes that discourages kids who develop later, and I'm not sure that the kid, c- c- clubs have done enough to cater for the late developers. What's been done in that space to say, look, the pecking order at school is not necessarily going to be the pecking order later in life? I can, yeah, you're right. And I can only speak to the stuff that's happening in counties Manukau. So we're looking at trying to get an under-18 and under-19 under competition going. And I know Maramarua are working with some of the other rural clubs to get it teamed together in that space there. And you'll know that under-85 kilo competition, I know, is going great guns. Yeah, brilliant, lovely, university. absolutely. Yeah, they're going to have like three to four teams in that, in that space there. So I think, yeah, we've got to have more offerings for, for everyone across the board, not yeah. yeah, not just the superstars that come out of the 1As. Uh, see, when North Harbour decided to get rid of um, representative sides, 
uh, and stop picking under 15s, under 16s. A lot of people said, oh, that's a little bit woke. But I didn't actually disagree with it because I often find a lot of those sides tend to be filled with bigger kids. And I think that's part of the problem. And if you're going to have representative sides, maybe have weight, maybe have weight restricted grades as well, where you put as much emphasis on the importance of those as say the open weight representative sides. Yeah, yeah, I think North Harbour led the way in that space and, and did a pretty good job in hindsight looking back now, because I think you know we are trying to encourage as many people as possible to stay in the community game, and we all know the cream always rises to the top, but we've just got to make sure that we've got a really wide base, and as I say. It's not just about the rugby, it's, just the, it's about the camaraderie, the friendships and everything that comes with you know, team sports. Yeah, yeah. Look, and the other barrier that I guess has been put up now for youngsters in rugby or teenagers is the concussion issue. So can, can you just let us know, again, from a county's Manukau point of view, what work's been done in that space in regards to monitoring and managing on-field concussions or potential situations? I think... We're doing more in that space than has ever been done before, like when I compare it to what it was like when I was back playing. So I think the management and monitoring around that is, is top top notch, and the referees are absolutely on board that. But I think the IRB are also leading it, aren't they, as well, with the tackling well below the, the nipple line now. Hmm. So I, I think they address, they realise it's an issue, and they've really got to address it because it's one of the real challenges of rugby and contact sport. You see it in the NFL, don't we, just the other day? Yeah. Hey, look, Craig, look, I don't want to get too political. I'm not sure what your um, involvement is at the moment. But look, is there much discussion between the clubs and New Zealand rugby and around club rugby? Because I do look at it from the outside. It's, it's, you know, it seems to me now that the stepping stone to higher honours is schoolboy rugby. And as I said, I think the problem with schoolboy rugby is a lot of the players that stand up are just big, big kids. We need club rugby. We need that... Um, that middle stage of development. Are they aware of the game Australian? What's New Zealand rugby's attitude towards all of this? I, I think I think they are, and you know, I think one of the good things of Silver Lake is that money trickled is trickling down to the clubs. So I think they're doing the, the best, and I think you know we constantly see examples of guys like in counties Manukau, Patamahoe, We've got a guy Riley Hohipa, who's yeah. in his mid twenties, and he had an outstanding season for counties. But he's played over a hundred games for Patamahoe, you know, and he's a, he's a trader. He works hard, and he's been given that opportunity. He's able to step up, and I, I love the Luke Romano story. He played a hundred games for his club in Christchurch before he went on and played for Canterbury and the Crusaders and the All Blacks. So that'd be silly not to realise what the importance of club rugby is because of examples exactly like that. But it's also a massive part of our social fabric as Kiwis, as New Zealanders. Yeah, and in regards to coaches coming through, have we got plenty of coaches coming through? Have we got plenty of officials? Are they areas that are challenging? It's a challenge because everyone's a bit time poor at the moment. But I think of, I know, counties, for example, you know, we took on a guy, Rion Graham, as our Steelers coach, and he's probably got probably served as an apprenticeship for 15 years, coaching at various levels in, at Patamahoe and in counties as well. Hmm. So as long as we've got examples of that, then people will come through. Hmm. Okay, Craig, little tongue-in-cheek, um, just a little bit of humour to finish this interview. If Dale Budge <laughs> was available, where would you play him? He's a great organiser, Budgie. So uh, if whether you'd play him at 9 or 10, and, you know... He, 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 wouldn't, probably, last five min- he wouldn't last five minutes at 10. <laughs> but you can imagine him chirping around to the forwards, giving them a boot up the ass, you know, putting them, sending them in the right direction, driving them hard. Yeah, I think he. I think he's, he, a, he's a good man, as our budgie. I think with the body type he's got at the moment, probably Hooker, wouldn't he? <laughs> hooker, a tight head prop, maybe. Yeah, Craig, lovely to have you on the program. All the very best with this initiative. Looking forward to following it. Cheers, all the best, though. Thank you. There you go, Craig Carter, Ford, a chairman of Counties Rugby. This new initiative, pre-season comp, top three.
clubs from North Harbour, Auckland counties playing a bit of a knockout comp. Um, it would be nice, wouldn't it, at the end of the club competition, whether it be the Gallagher Shield, the North Harbour Comp or the County's Manukau Hub, that the top teams do play each other. Then they go and play the winners of Waikato region, or you might set it up based on the regions that New Zealand secondary schools operate, and that we end up actually having a club final just to find out who is the best club. It just always seems such a short season senior club rugby. But it's really important that we do start putting emphasis back on it it needs to be part of the pathway for our players. It takes size out of the equation. If you're a big kid who's got away with your size all the way through school, and you know, I use the term only in a rugby sense, and you sort of bullied your way through games, senior club rugby gets rid of size because everybody's fully grown at that point, aren't they? And if you're one-dimensional, you'll get found out. And that should still be the stepping stone to higher honours, not just what happens at a schoolboy level. Because the problem too at a schoolboy level is you'll get to some schools which don't have a rich history, that don't play in the 1A in Auckland as an example, but still have an outstanding rugby player. Well, how are they expected to shine if they don't have 14 other good players around them? Well, the way they can shine is by taking that talent into the club environment and then getting picked up. And I actually agree with getting rid of age group representative sides because I think they are just full of big kids or there's a little bit of nepotism that does go on you might want to have your say here on SENZ 21 minutes after one do you want to see a national club rugby competition now that's what's happening in Auckland I'd love to hear how the club rugby competition in other parts of the country is set up Auckland clearly area wise is huge population rise is big Therefore, you've basically got the three unions. But what can we do to further enhance club rugby in this competition? I am reluctant to talk rugby in the month of January, but I think this is a story that has come up. Um, Senior club rugby is going to kick off shortly in terms of the pre-season. So 0800 150 811 is the number. 0800 150 We will talk paint. We will talk fishing. And we'll probably smell excellence between now and 2 o'clock. Time. 0800 150 811. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts, and service needs to help you succeed in your field. You're listening to Summer Days with Ricardo Ball on SENZ. <laughs> A little bit of the Rolling Stones. Great song choice, Brian. You moved away from Love Songs to Midnight. Pleased you've taken over, Brian. you got your wedding anniversary coming up, Sammy. You seem all very clucky at it's the out, moment. It's, out of, it's about paint, that song. It is painted black. Yeah. Brilliant. Now, we are going to talk about that because we've mentioned our wonderful friends from Razine, and you've worked for Razine, haven't have, you? Yep. You have, and so... <laughs> I, I, Clearly, now people go, get back to the sport, but this is ECNZ. This is sport and entertainment. I think paint's entertaining. I think it can be entertaining, mm. particularly, can body, be a sport. particularly body paint. Can it be a sport painting? Well, the I don't know. The, the way some people do it, you'd probably think it'd well, be a sport. Well, it can, could be a sport. Put it on ESPN. John the with the softer brush on the left and <laughs> Bill there, he's gone with a slightly wider stiffer brush. Well, cutting in from the corners. Slightly different colours because one's gone with a matte finish and one's gone with more of a sheen. <laughs> Settle back. Three square <laughs> metres of wall to go. 
Do they start at the top? Do they start at the bottom? It is the great Rosine New Zealand Open. Wow. One of three Grand Slams internationally. What a competition it's been so far. Let's go back and reflect on the semi-finals when Bill, the pre- pre-paint favourite, knocked out because, because he smeared it with just a little bit of black. It was contentious, but I think the replays show there was plenty of black spatter amongst the magnificent vintage white. <laughs> that is... I mean, you sold me. Can we get this almost borderline Olympic Yeah, we will go sideline, though, because technique is so important. Interesting Mm -hmm. that we do have, for the first time, a left-handed painter. (laughs) Oh, the left-handed roller. We've got the right-handed. But one of the big issues here, it's been a big issue in the sport of painting, is carpal tunnel. (laughs) It is an injury to the phalange, (laughs) the metatarsal, (laughs) and the joints within the hands. And so we are pleased that... We have standing by some of the best medical staff in the world. And I tell you what, it's been an injury that's kept Bill out for a long time. Remember, he won the Mm -hmm. British Painting Championships back in the day when it was Trust British Paint. Sure can. (laughs) And I tell you what, what I'm really looking forward to at this year's championship is obviously the open grade for the senior members. They're using oil-based. That's what they're used to, the oil-based paints, as opposed to the acrylics that some of the younger, uh, the under-35s are using. Yeah, well, Bill is in the 70s. He comes now from a boat-building background, and I wonder whether he maybe just brings the advantage in the fact that you've got to get under the hull. You're used to working on awkward surfaces. So I think he comes in slowly. Slightly different, you know. You've got the more modern day painter who thinks that it's all just about the roller, but we know clearly from experience it's not just about the roller. Mm. Wow, this is this is phenomenal. Great radio sport. Imagine great. that. Yeah, painting, I could, I could imagine the New Zealand painting championships, mate. The NZ Painting Open. Yeah, brought yeah. to you by Rosine. Yeah, and um, look at that. He's got a high turnover. He dips the brush again. He goes back up three strokes. Back in. Meanwhile, John across the other side. He's gone to side to go with a longer stroke. So it's all about cadence. Would they have to do the prep themselves? Would they have to do the sanding of the wall and, uh, you know, any sort of plaster work? Or are we straight into just painting? Well, I think that's speed. a different category. I think Probably, that's a bit yeah, like I see, yeah. I think yeah. you're starting to talk more like the heptathlon or the decathlon, you'd, wouldn't you? You'd have your speed painting, but then you'd also have yeah. your quality, right? Your judging. So you'd well, have think, your three judges out of ten, etc. I think you'd have to have your priming. Okay. The line along the skirting's a bit off. Yeah, the line along the skirting's a bit off. Well said, Brian. Brilliant. I mean, that's just like the little pinstripes, isn't it? Yeah, well, cutting in. It's all about cutting in, isn't it? Making sure that you're, um, you know, you're keeping your, your edges separate from but, the middle of the wall. Yeah, it's interesting too because, you know, you look at this John This isn't the here, chat about paint I thought we were going to have, Mark. John here. He's gone with a P120 sandpaper. Bill's gone with the 80. Which one's going to grab? Which one's going to hold the most? And, of course, if it comes down to it, it'll all be about reflection. It'll all be about streak-free paint. Settle back, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Moments away. The New Zealand Painting Championships brought to you by Razine. Oh, we've got to make How the hell did we get here, mate? I don't know. And How the hell did we job? get here? And it's here. not the, the conversation of pain I thought we were going to have. I thought we were going to be talking about your various acrylics but um, and your colours maybe. But well, they're different categories, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, for the first time, the Brisbane Olympic Games bring you painting. Two divisions, the acrylic and the non-acrylic. <laughs> the acrylic and the oil-based. <laughs> now, one of our leading painters is John. Now, John was a builder for 17 years in the trade. He's our expert comments man. G'day, Bill. Anyway, we've lost the plot. Have we got some new sport and where I the headlines are? Yeah, yeah, I feel disappointed. I feel hard done by. No, we're going like to come back. We're still going to come back. Talk about yeah. some actual paint. Anyway, but, yeah. Okay. It is 26 minutes away from 2 o'clock. You're listening to SENZ. Some texts that have come in. We were just talking about the possibility of a national club rugby competition, um, how that might look. 
some Ben's text in and said club cricket has a nash, nationwide club tournament where the best club sides from all six regions play each other at Cornwall Park. Yeah, aware of that. Playing a lot of composite wickets there, don't they? Uh, Watto, considering that New Zealand rugby can't even hold an international provincial sevens tournament these days, I don't hold any hope they could provide decent open grade national club competition. Great idea. Um... All the same. Yeah, look, it's an interesting one. Is I don't think New Zealand rugby really care too much about club rugby. I don't think they really care too much about um, the MPC. To me, it's all about the All Blacks. And I think um, that is really, really dangerous in the long term. It's all about the bottom line. It's all about the commercial dollar. But you've got to have top down, but you've also got to have bottom up. Right, Watto, I just watched a new music video from Adam Lambert singing Holding Out for a Hero. And Richard says, I think you look pretty flashy in some of the get-ups and that. You're my hero, Watto. <sighs> love your work too, Richard. Not sure whether you've been serious or just taking it out of me, but that's okay. I just love the fact you've texted me. And then someone just saying off the back of our little painting wrap, that's pure gold, metallic gold. Does anyone ever get a house painted in metallic gold, Sam? Certainly not the outside. No. no. And in fact, not really the inside. No, they use the metallic colours. I could imagine sp- a, a sort of an over-the-top boxer doing a metallic gold house, you know. Probably, yeah, like a Floyd May with it. No, they do. They use metallic generally for the uh, splashbacks. Oh, splashbacks. Behind the oven, yeah. Is that a division? Could be. We could splash do space. We could do kitchen kitchen paints. The old a lot of going back. around the appliances. They've got us. Uh, you know, one thing that really irks me with, um, and it's related to paint because we used to get a lot of people coming and asking us about you know prepping the fence. And just saying, just say our preferred paint here on SENZ is resin. It should be your preferred paint. It's New Zealand made. It's New Zealand owned. Um, made for New Zealand conditions. You know, some of the other paints are international. Mm. So you know they're trying to figure out what works in the UK and in New Zealand. It's, you know, resin is New Zealand paint. Anyway. Um, Water blasting. The people that water blast wood. Ooh, now I go always I'm, too hard. I'm driving Take through the oil out of the wood. Yeah, exactly. You're driving through, you know, Waitoki or Kaukoba Copper, and people are outside water blasting the fence to clean it off. And all you're doing is degrading the quality of your fence because you're opening up all the splinters and you know the pressure of the hose. You're opening yeah. up all the fibers and the wood, and it's just going to degrade over the long term. So I could see that being a Seinfeld episode, Jerry. He used the water blaster on the not the fence, not the water <laughs> blaster. What do you mean? No, she bad, did, she did. But it's not a bad sign. Well, so it's because it's, 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 that's a show about nothing, and that's yeah. sort of one of those quirky mm. little things. It's a mm. nothing everyday moment. Yeah. Um, so, look, the people that want to water blast, and decks as well, and you hear you hear people say, like I've seen videos on, you know, Mitre 10 or, or you know, building programs, oh, you know, just clean your deck, get your water blaster. And it's like, do not use a water blaster on, on mm. wood. Mate, Stupid. Mate. Unless you've got it on a very low pressure. We should do a home show. You should be the host. Could be. Dex yeah. and paint with Sam. Dex and paint. Yeah, and no, I did love my paint, honestly. I yeah. don't know what it was about working at that place, but I just got obsessed with it. And now I lo- like, a mate of mine's painting, they've just bought a house in um, Totra Vale, nice little uh, first home for them, and mm. they've just redone the painting. And it, it does make a big difference. Oh, you know, it does. Fresh like a paint, Absolutely. very big difference. Yeah. And um, I was, I just wanted to come around and help them out. And well, I wonder where I the saying dr- fresh lick of paint come from. Can you Google that for me? Okay, Brian. Fresh he, lick of paint. He'll get that, fresh lick of paint. I want to know where that came from. Mm. It's so always you, interesting, Because you're it? out at Mudawai. Um, what sort of colours are we seeing out at Mudawai? Are they the darker? Well, we're getting a lot of houses done. Yeah, we're getting a lot of houses done in sort of um, the woods, yeah. you know, uh, the oil-based woods. What do you yeah. call that? Um, cedar yeah, type yeah, houses yeah, being yeah, done. Yeah, cedar wood, um, yeah. But I think a lot of the time, in a lot of those areas, what used to be under the Resource Management Act in this country, you actually couldn't do anything too far outside of... Correct. That still exists, yeah. The LRV. So, so you couldn't necessarily go bright pink. Correct. You can't. It's it's more to do with the um, the light, the 
the brightness of the colour. So in Auckland, mm. they're very strict on, um, like, you'd be surprised how um, bright is the limit, or sorry, how dark the limit is. Like, you know, an off-white is very close to the limit. So we used to get people coming in, oh, you know, we want to paint the house black to sort of, you know, that sort of old rustic black vibe, and we, you can't do it. It's too dark. And the amount of people that would come and having just done it and then getting the buildings, um, you know, the um, council around who say, too dark, got to paint it again. But then interestingly in Queenstown, it's the other way. They want all the houses dark because yeah, they want to give it that chic, But it you know, fits in correct, also too with the, the landscape. With the landscape. Which is what they're trying to do. Whereas yeah. in Auckland, you know, they're trying to, they're fitting in with new parks and subdivisions in, in a very Auckland look. So, And then you've got things like Fanuapai where you can't paint the, your roof um, a bright colour because of the planes flying over. So all sorts of little caveats. Never knew that, Sam. There you go. You learn something new every day. I do, mate. Yeah, and Brian, you've the answer for a fresh look of paint. Well, uh, yeah, yes, um, according to Reddit, 300 years ago, lick was a rural slang for a quick uh, washing of something, like cats. This They've got in brackets there. Eventually, it came to mean a sloppily applied coat of whitewash, a type of paint. We still use the word this way today. Uh, lick of paint is a fairly common expression. Wow, that's a... 300 years. Interesting way to get there. Brilliant. Brilliant. There you go. 300-year-old saying. We'll take a break. Listening to SENZ, home of sport, I think it is. Are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts, and service needs to help you succeed in your field. You're listening to Summer Days with Ricardo Ball on SENZ. 16 minutes away from two. I just got a photo come through on my phone from my wife. Now, my wife oh, well, won't she, even... Is this won't, safer on air? Or? Won't, won't, yeah. even, um, won't even watch the All Black. She's not into sport at all, but for some reason things work. And she always tried to convince me that she once won a tennis championship. And so she's been cleaning out the garage at home. And she sent me a photo through, actually, of the St. Albans Junior Tennis Club. Girls 11 and under doubles champion, 1989-1990. Now, we thought that was quite a big story. We tried to get her on the program, but she didn't want to come on, did she, Brian? Uh, no, I mean, she had a, you know, she was laughing about it all and everything, but um, I think she just knows uh, something about the games you play and she's well aware or, or something along those lines, mate. Well, I'm a hopeless romantic. What games is she talking about? Maybe she's still traumatised from your David Attenborough impression. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Yeah, we, won't go, we won't go and revisit that one. Anyway, someone also texting in, G'day guys, happy birthday, Sammy. Not sure about all the paint talk. Well, you know, Gary, I mean, it's... Um yeah. He says he paints all day and he can not He can tell us that it's not really yeah, that exciting. Yeah. I absolutely love it, Gary. Well, this other one here that says I live in a black house in Auckland, there's heaps around. I think it's more the new builds that have to go through the consents that are a bit lighter. But if you live in an older house or if you've bought a house, you've decided to paint it black, you can do that well, what 100%. About, what about the black oils, though? Like a lot of houses are done in a... You mean like the cedar and stuff? Cedar, and you can get uh, that black... black lot. Correct, you can get the, um, the paint black. Yeah, it's... Um, yeah, I think that's a bit different because it's all to do with, and, and this is council obviously trying to make money, but it's all to do with how much light gets reflected off mm. the house and to do with the building material. So wood will bow a lot if it gets too hot. You, you'll know mm. that, Watto. So stain's a little bit different because um, it doesn't really reflect anything. Mate, you should be. You hey, um, should have your own build show, mate. Seriously, yeah, yeah. some I'll of the stuff about, you've come up with oh. today. Mind you, your um, discussion around fish coming to the surface and their the bladders inflating. Inflating. I mean, I'm just a student. 
aren't I? I'm a wise man, mate. We should probably get back to some sport. Now, you've got some really interesting audio here from Mike Whitney. Now, Mike Whitney was an Australian cricketer, a bowler. He's had a bit of a television career. He was part of the 1986-87 Boxing Day test, which New Zealand should have won. Ended up being a draw, but it's some of the worst umpiring you've ever seen. And it was a Richard Hadley LBW to Mike Whitney that was not given by Australian umpires. I'm not even sure he offered a shot, Sam. No, I, don't, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure if they play the clip in this, but um, yeah, this this came out a, a while ago, but I just came across it again on Facebook, so I thought it was a pretty good yarn of what happened to the ball that was bowled in that, in that last ball of that match, Watto. So sit back, relax and enjoy. That's going to get relived a lot this year because New Zealand come out and for the second time only they play a Boxing Day test. The one that I played in was their first Boxing Day test. Make it 30. One to come from Richard Hadley. He's talking to himself. You can bet your life that Michael Whitney's talking to himself. Good luck, Whit. Ian Smith walking off the ground that day after I'd blocked Richard Hadley out gave me that ball and and I knew Richard had taken a fifer with it. He actually took five from the first innings as well. And many, many years went by and I was emceeing a couple of gigs for Richard and Ian Botham and Viv Richard who had all been knighted at that stage. So it was a it was called a big night, K-N-I-G-H-T, a big night out, and I'm the MC. And one of those days Richard goes, that ball that Ian Smith gave you. I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, have you still got it? I went, yeah. He said, do you know where it is? I went, yeah, we know where all the stuff is. He said, that's the only ball of the 36 five-wicket hauls that I took in test cricket that I don't have. And I remember going, unlucky. (laughs) Ian Smith gave it to me. But, look, I took two seven-firds, one against the West Indies and one against India, and I have those balls. And I know how precious that is and how how much work went into taking those two seven-footers. Richard took 36 five-wicket hauls. So he mentioned it again a few years later and then he mentioned it in 2014. And I thought at some stage I've got to give him this ball back. 2015 we had the World Cup in Australia and they were all down in Melbourne. And a mate of mine organising a function rang me up and said, and I'd spoken to him about this story, he said, here's your chance, we'll fly you down there unannounced and you can go to this function where Viv and Beefy and Alan Border and Richard, they're all going to be there. The night before the final that we play New Zealand versus Australia. So Mark Nicholas got me up on stage. He said, oh, I don't know why Mike Whitney's here, but he's got 10 minutes come up and I've got the ball in my coat jacket. And I asked Richard, Richard, come up on stage, mate. And I told a condensed version of this story and then said, Ian Smith, into the microphone, I went, Ian Smith gave me the ball. It's my ball, right? I'm looking at him. But I'm going to give it to you on permanent loan forever. Well, he took the ball and he put it in his fingers like he was going to bowl one of those outswingers. Then I saw the tear run down the side of his face. Then I got really emotional. Then he hugged me, and I'm thinking, man, check this emotion out right now over a cricket ball that was given to me 27 years ago, it was at that point. 
Mate, I got emails from New Zealand politicians saying what a wonderful gesture for trans-Tasman relationships and trans-Tasman sport, the fact that you gave Richard back this ball. So fast forward to a year ago, I'm at a function at the SCG and Richard and his wife Diana's there, so he's Sir Richard and Lady Diana, and he's up talking on the stage and I go to Diana, Diana, how's my cricket ball going? She goes, that bloody cricket ball, God, I got that cricket ball. All of his stuff is in a bit of a museum out the back. But that ball is in a cabinet when you open the front door. It's right there with the story. <laughs> I can't believe it. Over a cricket ball. So I, yeah, I stole his ball, or was given his ball for 27 years, and this decision to hand it back. And Richard and I have always been pretty good friends. Mate, we're brotherhood now. We are seriously brotherhood over a cricket ball. It's just such a bizarre story. Yeah, what would have been a greater gift, Mike Whitney, if you actually had a walk to and you'll plan LBW on about six occasions, Danny Morrison one end, Hadley at the other end, and didn't you not pick up the hint earlier on that perhaps maybe you should have given it to him after the first meeting, not waiting another 15 or 20 years? <laughs> nah, look, Mike Whitney, good man, uh, great camaraderie, great bit of banter, and what I love about Sir Richard Hadley is, because I'm a little bit the same, I like, not that I'm Richard Hadley, but I like the fact that he hangs on to those sporting memorabilia that he hung on to those things, those mementos, because that's what you've got. That's what life's about. You've got to sit back and reflect. Hey, they don't define you in the here and the now necessarily, but sometimes it's just a little bit of a reflection of what you've actually done. Um, and I think as you do get older, you get a bit nostalgic. I mean, Sam Hewitt's got some of his most favourite hockey sticks up at his house. He's just sold a couple. Um, I've just gone, wife's going through the garage at home at the moment. I just told you how she found that tennis certificate. I've got sports memorabilia for Africa, some that I've acquired from other people, some that will only be important to no one else other than me. Um, so really, really nice story there from Mike Whitney. Um, and we'll look to do some stuff on that, that sort of stuff uh, next week on the program between 12 and 4 and, of course, tomorrow on the program. We are coming up to seven and a half minutes away um, from one o'clock. Um, you got anything else for me, Sam, or are we going to take that commercial break? We'll take that commercial break, then we'll come back, we'll wrap up, and then we'll hand it over to Louis Herman Watt.